A world in ruins and brothers betrayed. The vengeful spirit has finally left the orbit of Istvan III. Countless brother Astartes lay cold in the ground, betrayed by their own gene fathers. Whatever has possessed the minds of these four sons of the Emperor, we may never know. However, reports abound of a ship under fire jumping into the warp away from the fleet may yet be a herald of light in these darkest of times. Stay tuned, brothers. Radio Free Istvan will continue to broadcast updates on the movements of the Trader Warmaster. And remember, the Emperor protects. Hello and welcome to Radio Free Istvan, a miniature gaming podcast. My name is Scott and I'm here with my co-host Vince. What's up, Vince? What's up, Scotty? And from all the way, straight down through the center of the earth if you're a globe tard like me we have our good friend from the outer circle james mckenzie what's going on guys you're probably you are probably the most honest man in our community and i commend you for that yes (laughs) out here doing the lord honest or uh pure salt salt (laughs) human form But uh, we thought it would be very fitting to have you on tonight, James, is our special Legion episode revolving around the Thousand Suns is uh, is tonight. And you have been a Thousand Suns, you know, ride or die since way before they ever got rules. Yeah, uh, I know since the mid-90s, I've been collecting Zench slash Thousand Suns in one form or another. So, yeah, that probably counts as a long time. Yeah, something like that. It's, uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> but uh, can Good you try. walk us through a little bit about your, your kind of hobby history and uh, what your background is in 30K? So, hobby history. I got my start painting models with my grandfather. Yeah, You know, the usual sort of Spitfires and Messerschmitts and... World War II stuff, and yeah. then a relative of mine came back from England and actually had um, bought a fantasy miniature in one of those old blister packs back with them, and uh, three pots of paint, I think, Skull White, Ultramarine or Enchanted Blue, and Blood Red, and I painted this miniature, the worst you have ever seen a miniature <laughs> painted in your life. Yeah. Um, Snazzy you know, like those, yeah, me- like those real cheap brushes you get from like a $2 shop. Yeah, they're, they're like a, a flexible plastic handle. They're almost like an elastic band. They're so soft, <laughs> the handle, and, and the brush is just not got a fine point or anything. Yeah, and then, of course, you don't thin your paint. You just dip the brush straight in. That's right, like man. A, like just... a fucking Neanderthal, and you just <laughs> coat that mini. Um, and I was probably about six years old. And then, obviously, uh, they started opening up Games Workshop stores uh, around Australia, and then I became hooked on the hobby. And so uh, started where most people do, a couple of fantasy and 40K armies, but very small, as was the fashion at the time, uh, like wearing an onion on your belt. And then uh, got hooked on Zench because I don't know who it was. It was a friend of mine, I think, was playing Chaos in Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And I just started looking at the artwork and going, oh, wow, these dudes are so much more interesting than everything else. Yep. And so I started down that path and uh, been doing that ever since. And then probably about eight years ago now, uh, just before the Horus Heresy came out, Forge World released these like Space Marine Mark II, Mark III, Armor Through the Ages type things. 
And I was like, oh, geez, you know, now's a really good time to make some some Thousand Suns pre-heresy. You know, this will be so unique. No one else is going to be doing it. So I went out and bought his Mark II, bought a Mark I Rhinos for the army, converted it all up. And just as I'd sort of got all the parts, because I was, like, mailing casters in Russia, because, again, like, there weren't as many uh, sites available as there are now. Right. So you actually had to mail people. Oh, God. Um, and email them, you know. Uh, <laughs> got all the bits together and... Then, as everything came together, it started getting built and painted. Right as I was getting sort of the finishing stages, Forger was like, hey, we're bringing out the Horus Heresy. And I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck. Makes sense. <laughs> just, <laughs> just great. All this work I'd put in, you know, into this army, and I realized, you know, like the color scheme's probably going to be wrong, the markings are probably going to change, all this sort of thing. And then um, I'm like, oh, well, you know, they're bringing out the first book. They'll probably, they'll probably come out Thousand Suns sort of very quickly, you know. They'll probably be book two, right? Because, yeah. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so I went through a couple of other heresy armies. I've done... That was my first heresy army, of course. I did Death Guard, uh, Raven Guard, Iron Warriors. Um, I've dabbled a little bit with Imperial Fists. And then I sort of got to a point around probably book five, the Ultramarines came out. And um, I said... Fuck it, um, Thousand Suns have got to be coming any day now, any day now. So I started buying all the parts, um, dropped an order for like a couple of Betrayal at Kelth boxes at once, a whole bunch of upgrades, and then built this massive Thousand Suns army just in anticipation of the book. And then I played at a bunch of competitions um, and events around Australia. And the last one that they did prior to the book coming out was Act of Heresy two days before the book came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was just like, I wanted the book. I wanted the book. And I just couldn't use it. But anyway, ended up with a lovely army. And um, yeah, it, it suited pretty well in the end. So very happy with it. Yeah, I remember the early days of playing against Thousand Sons. I, I distinctly remember them because they were the only ones whose rules were different enough that they were actually something distinct. Like, you know, they, they were very expensive, like man per man, but, you know, they had a ward save more or less kind of throughout the whole army and there were, their weapons did, you know, slightly different things. So those are, they, they've really had their ups and downs over the years. Um, there's something, there was something really fun about how psychic phases and uh, magic phases worked. Uh, I'll say the sort of sixth edition fantasy, uh, 3.5 fourth edition, uh, 40k right right uh the magic and psychic phases seemed to work really smoothly and gelled with the army and i think everything since then sort of been trying to recapture the former glory i'll say right yeah. right vance what is your history with thousand sons uh so a couple of years back when i started getting into the heresy <clears throat> and coming out of uh playing 40k with me and my buddies uh, playing Dark Angels, uh, I just managed to happen to pick the two armies that never had rules until later parts. So, started out with Dark Angels, and then uh, after I was playing the Dark Angels for a little bit, my like one of my very good friends, he was very big into uh, word word bearers, and I thought it would be cool to complement his word bearers armory with Lorgar's best friend Magnus. So I looked up the Thousand Sons. I was like, really cool. I, I thought it was really cool, like their backstory and how they're betrayed. 
And then there was also like two dudes at our shop that we played at when we played 40k that were really like big into like space wolves. And I fucking hated how they played space wolves and the same stupid ass seventh edition like Thunder Wolf Calvary, just fucking wolf in three up save, four feel no pain, whatever bullshit. So I was just like, this just added fuel to the fucking fire. And then I was like, well, you know what? In Heresy, I'll, like, I'll start up a Thousand Suns army. And I also really liked how when uh, Forge World came out with uh, starting releasing their paint scheme, that cherry red. I was like, this is fucking cool. How do I do this? And to be honest, it was uh, it was it basically doing that army like made me go out and get an airbrush and like start going down the route of like serious painting and serious hobbing as far as like just doing that up and actually researching and figure out how to use an airbrush and how to like figure out that whole paint scheme and stuff like that and doing little tips and tricks uh i even emailed uh forge road i was like how do you do this and then they told me like here you buy this out of our air range and you buy this color out of our air range and this is what you use (laughs) And then when I did it their way, I did not like how it came out. So then uh, the book got released, and then a couple months later, uh, it was the first ever uh, Warhammer Fest in Coventry, England. It was like back in 2016 where they brought it back, and they brought back all the grand tournaments hosted by Games Workshop. And me and my buddy went to it. And that's when they also released, like, for the first time, Magnus, Eamon, um, all the, basically all the special edition, like, Thousand Sons models that they were going to have for sale. They were all for sale at first at that, uh, at that venue. So I, I bought Eamon and uh, Magnus, and then I bought three Castellacs, Achaia, and then I also played in the Heresy tournament there. And then I was playing this one guy. I was really cool. Uh, he was uh, he had a thousand sons army, and his his cherry red was like perfect. I was like, this is fucking awesome. Like, how come mine doesn't look like that? Like, what do you what do you use as a base? And he told me this pro tip that I use now, which is, well, Forge World tells you to use a silver base. I use a gold base, and it makes it come out a lot better. And so that's what I've done ever since then. And it comes out a lot better because you use that silver base on them to make that cherry coat. And like the red starts to turn purple after a while and it looks just really dull and a lot cool. It's like literally like cooler instead of like warmer than if you use that gold base. But hobbying stuff aside, that's basically how I got into Thousand Sons. It was me just telling you like fuck off to these Space Wolf players that just like sucks in Thunderwolf Calvary dick. And that was about it. A very mature response, I would say. You know. Yeah, I'm known to make those decisions out of spite. But <laughs> well, guys, uh, let's just get down to it. So, Vince, you want to kind of talk to us a little bit about sort of how the Thousand Sons Legion came to be and what its more formative years looked like after uh, after the Primarchs were scattered from the vaults. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> first off, like. Not only is it just an amazing Thousand Sons novel, but it's just a like one of the best heresy novels ever, A Thousand Sons. I highly recommend like everybody. I mean, probably everybody who's listening to this right now has most likely read that book, but uh, it's fantastic. Like audiobook wise, it was it's pretty fucking awesome. Um, and so 
Uh, lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, that's right. History of Thousand Sons. So uh, you have basically a legion, uh, very psychically inclined, uh, very attracted to the war, and it was like just like the rest of the legions. It's not part of what they call the what is it called the trefoil, right? Where it's like there's the three legions that were created for a specific reason, and the emperor has a specific reason, right? Everybody? Yeah. Was it the uh, <laughs> Alpha Legion, Salamanders, and Space Wolves? Yeah. So, like, like Space Wolves are supposed to like go out there and just murder people at the at the at the Emperor's will whim. Uh, Alpha Legion, they couldn't like the, other than like their normal tactics of subterfuge and and being secretive and stuff like that. They people, it's still debatable, like what exactly their part of the trefoil is. And then the salamanders are just out there to just like they they're almost sort of supposed to be like the death guard, right? They just go right to really shitty areas and just burn out everything. Maybe almost. I don't know. They never really yeah. sort of peg down exactly what their roles are. We're just sort of doing our best guess based on what we've got, aren't we? Yeah, exactly. And so they're not necessarily part of the trefoil, but the emperor created this legion and everybody just happened to be psychically inclined and it's not specifically stated that that's the purpose of, of what they were created for. But you have this whole legion that is just like basically a bunch of psychers. And in the, in the early days, they just went around using their attraction to psychic abilities and they would go to other worlds that had uh, psychers because they were, because since they're more intrinsically linked to the warp, they were able to go to these worlds and fight these sort of, more uh, psychically enhanced, like Xenos and uh, opponents, and then basically it came down to that's what their style of fighting. And then you got Magnus meeting up at Prospero, and then the whole enlightenment of Magnus getting formed with this legion. And then you basically have a whole legion under Magnus, whose whole purpose is using the psychic uh, psychic abilities and being linked to the warp as a pathway through knowledge and using that knowledge to enhance themselves and enhance the uh, the universe around them and the galaxy. Um, I know that was probably pretty watered down, uh, but Maka, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, just a couple of quick points because I think it becomes relevant when discussing the, her uh, the sort of heresy in that overall. As a legion, they didn't display any of those psychic traits until sort of a few years into the Great Crusade. And when they did start to discover these powers, it was not in a really controlled form, because it was literally just one day, you know, Marine number three discovered he could cast lightning from his hand, and he thought that was a pretty neat trick. And they'd use that, obviously, in their battles to defeat their enemies. But this is at a time when the people they're fighting alongside, the other legions, um, and especially the people who were generals and fought in the Unification Wars, had seen all the witchy-poo stuff that went on on Terra, as well as all the weird psychic stuff going on during the Solar Conquests. And so they immediately, from that early stage, began to mistrust the Thousand Sons. And, of course, the Thousand Sons themselves started running into flesh-change troubles where... Uh, spontaneously they would just mutate because they drew too much power or whatever and so uh, due to that the legion ended up putting anyone who started to succumb to it into stasis 
so by the time they find Magnus, most of the Legion is actually in stasis. Uh, had dwindled to a thousand suns, hence the name. Oh, yeah, my turn. All right, yeah. Uh, so, and then going forward, <laughs> going forward from that, that's obviously uh, that's where uh, old old One Eye makes that deal with the devil, right? Yeah, it's a little bit unclear where it comes from because some say you know he he never had the eye, others say he had two eyes. Um, it's one of these things that's always left really nebulous because yeah. for whatever reason they don't want to give an answer. Maybe it's cool without one. Who knows? Um, but essentially, in order to save the Legion, the Emperor basically just hands over this fucked up Legion of Magnus and your problem now. Good yeah. luck with it. <laughs> and Magnus does find a cure, or what he thinks is a cure, and essentially it's hinted that he basically sells his soul to Zench uh, for a sort of get-out-of-jail-free card for a limited time for the Legion. Yeah, because like, cause a lot of people think, like, it, it's funny how that happens, and then it basically restricts the Thousand Sons to be just a Thousand Sons because all one eye makes the deal with the devil, gives up his eyes supposedly, and then Zinch is like, all right, well, you only ever have like a thousand of these Legionnaires, and any time you go more than that, then that's when like the flush change will happen and stuff like that. And so he thinks he's good, and then come to find out, like, just as Prospero is, like, getting... The Battle of Prospero is getting hot and heavy. The dudes start just, like, bursting into flesh change all over the place. And then Magnus is like, Oh, shit, boys, we gotta hit the eject button on this fucking planet. And then just dips out. And then he's like, What are we gonna do about this, guys? And then Araman's like, Hey, I got this great idea. Just hear me out. Um, let's just lock these dudes. Uh, we'll take away their actual physical body. And we'll just, you know, they ha they're in power armor. It's not like you're going to see their actual skin. Uh, let's just keep them locked in here, and they can still be part of our Legion. And then well, Magnus... To, <laughs> to be fair, that wasn't the plan. That's just sort of how it <laughs> yeah. panned out. Because it was typical Zench Dickery, where Araman's like, I think I've got the solution. Zench is like, oh, huh. Do you? Yeah. Do you have a plan? Uh no, you don't. You don't have the solution. <laughs> well, see, you know what? It, it's funny because as as much as I love the Thousand Sons, uh, they're sort of like a, a they sort of do all this shit to themselves because uh, not only does Magnus seal his own fate when he decides to uh, spoiler alert use the use the webway and go to the Emperor Vice using actual space travel because. Magnus does end up finding out that Horus is uh, working against the Emperor and he's trying to convince the other legions and stuff like that. So what he does is he tries to let the Emperor know uh, and he thinks it's going to be shorter to use uh, to actually get into... Uh, I want to say the webway, but that's more elderly stuff. Um, but basically just get into the, uh, the fucking psychic seas and uh, find the Emperor and then let him know and basically bust down his fucking big psychic uh, wall that the Emperor's been working on this entire time uh, in order to enhance the humans and the human race and the Imperium of Man. And uh, it's funny how that happens and seals the fate for the Emperor to 
go after him at Prospero after Nikea and then come. And the reason why he did that is because Magnus's hubris caught up with him. And that seems to be a common trend among the key figures in the Legion is that their, their hubris always got the best of them. So you got Magnus that decided to use, uh, to use his psychic abilities to go try and find the emperor to let him know about, uh, Horus but he ends up doing more damage than he should and seals his fate for him and his legion. And then come down the road, uh, then you got Araman, who's, uh, who believes that he found the answer to save his legion, and he thinks that he can control the powers of the warp and releases the, 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 the Rubicon or the spell, the Rubicai, and actually does more harm than good. And it's just, it's always been interesting to me that their whole legion, their whole legion has just always been plagued by hubris. And that's because, like, their whole legion has been centered around the, the, like, seeking knowledge and trying to always be smarter and using that knowledge uh, for them. But in the end, they, it's just that they only have a very basic understanding of what they actually have in front of them. And they never truly understand what's actually going on around them, and it always bites them in the ass. There's a sort of fundamental um, disagreement between the Emperor and Magnus over the psychic question, as it were. Uh, Like on Prospero, Magnus paves crystals into the pavement to calm the minds of psychers, and he sees psychers as the way forward, whereas the Emperor very much sees psychics as a bad thing, and he's trying to basically eliminate psychics from the human race by moving everyone into the webway where essentially the predations of chaos cannot affect them. Um, it feels like at some point there, the Emperor and Magnus really should have sat down and had a proper discussion. Uh, it's like, oh, I think a lot of problems could be alleviated <laughs> with just them sitting down and just the Emperor just, you know, imparting that one bit of wisdom, like, I have a plan, here is the plan. But because he never wants to let anyone know the body plan... It's his super that's secret why... plan, bro. <laughs> it's retarded. That's yeah. what it is. It's a really bad idea not to tell those guys. Because, yeah, it's like more damage is done. And and I guess that's the Emperor's hubris. Uh, dooms the Thousand Suns as much as anyone yeah. else's, is what I'm getting at. Well, and, you know, it's just it just shows that they're all, they all have various traits of their father. So it's like Magnus and his legion are the psychically inclined dudes, and they, they obviously impart that from their father who's the most powerful psyker next to Malkador, right? So and obviously that hubris has to come from somewhere. I mean, all these dudes come from that one singular being or person, however you want to call it. And uh it just happens to be their downside other than the uh the flesh change. Hmm. Well hey, could you kind of like explain to me at least what this legion was like before Magnus, you know, how like the Death Guard were the Dusk Raiders during the Unification War area. Like, how did the Thousand Sons function before Magnus? Like, before they were the Thousand Sons, I suppose. Uh, well, the Thousand Sons pre-Magnus... What I mean was, like, what was their, what was like their tactics? Like, how did they... You know, standard standard legion tactics for that first few years, but then once they started discovering their powers, they started to use their powers to their advantage. Uh, one of the, I think it's in, in the notable battles, or possibly in the history pre-Magnus, in Book Seven, 
they go down to a planet and there's this night household and the night household sends out a knight to attack them and the sorcerers just sort of block the knight's attacks and then they just crumple it up into a ball and then the whole night household comes out and attacks them and it's just 20,000 sons. That's it, just 20 guys go down to this planet and they destroy this entire knight's house just through an overwhelming show of force. Uh, other times they would go down and use their psychic powers to perform miracles, quote-unquote, um, and, you know, the local populace would then go, ooh, wow, you know, that's that's pretty amazing. I guess we'll sign up to the Emperor after all. Um, but the Thousand Suns' mode of operating was very little uh, direct combat. They seemed to avoid it a lot compared to the other legions and tried to negotiate or use uh, diplomacy in a way or subterfuge, perhaps another way of putting it, uh, in order to actually win their battles. So not much really changed after Magnus. Magnus coming along sort of focused them more as a legion, uh, gave them specific goals to strive towards and uh, helped to say, you know, here are the cults of the Thousand Suns, here's what you will specialise in, uh, let's codify our teachings, that sort of thing. Right, so they're very much like martially, you know, developed already at point oh, yeah, yeah. out of fight they just you know gained kind of uh you know a administrative you know flavor when they got when they uh eventually linked up with magnus yeah so you know how some legions have a dramatic change when they meet their primarch um right. like some would go from being a meat grinder armies like i think the iron hands were very um methodical with the way they use their forces and then they meet ferris and ferris is like yeah yeah mechanized like warfare. That. Well, how great <laughs> yeah um yeah uh, the ultramarines of course they fight in very standard ways and then gilman comes along and he has his set ways of doing things yeah well with magnus right. it was very much just more of the same just doled up to extremes gotcha. that's yeah. how i see it anyway yeah Well, Plus, cool. they had a really sweet pre-heresy scheme. Yeah, they did. That's what made me want to ask that. So I fucking dig that pre-heresy scheme that was in Book 7 so much. And I know, uh, I think Samson's working on painting uh, a Thousand Suns army like that for Defcon. We need, we need someone to uh, 3D print some helmets of that. Those, those pre-heresy scheme helmets they have are pretty sweet looking. Yeah. Yeah, fact, fact. Well... So, I guess you guys kind of alluded to sort of the webway thing, and here's your, you know, spoiler alert if you're out there and you had you have no idea what's going on. But this fluff isn't exactly new, so <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what to tell you. If 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 we're ruining something for you, I'm you know checks in the mail. But um, <laughs> I would. Uh, you guys kind of explain to us like the whole webway dilemma and how how big of a deal that was and sort of maybe offer a different perspective other than like you know how everyone just kind of shits on the thousand suns and magnus like you you kind of explained it in a way that i had never looked at it before maca uh maybe vincenzo do you want to lead off with the sort of standard narrative and then i'll give my alternate take yeah, so this is where everybody... So there's two very... I would say the number one and number two most popular 
fucking Warhammer memes in the whole entire fucking Warhammer universe are Dark Angels are chaos and Magnus did nothing wrong. This is where Magnus did nothing wrong, like, directly stems from. Because this is what causes everything that led up, and to including Prospero. So, like I said, Matt, the standard narrative is Magnus found out that Horus was uh, defecting from the Emperor, and he, conv- he was starting to go around and convince some of the other legions to follow him, and his ways, and that he was taking advantage of his position of the war master and sort of developing this divide. And uh, he did not know at the time that there was any sort of ruinous or what we call chaos powers because he didn't know that those really existed at the time. Uh, He just knew of entities in the warp, but he believed that they were... uh, just as they were. They were entities in the warp, and that if you traveled in the warp, they presented some sort of danger to you, but they never could present any other sort of danger uh, outside of being in the warp. Um, there was that, like, but one of the big main eye-openers for him was uh, in the very beginning of it, if you listen to A Thousand Suns, is when they're on the planet of Guru, right? Is that what it's called, Maka? Uh, a go a Gauru, yeah, it's Yagoru or Yagoru. Um, and so you basically have a group of people on this planet who they're who. Ma- so Magnus is on this planet. He sent the Thousand Sons to this planet. In fact, it was like a whole expeditionary force of the Thousand Sons that were supposed to be working with the Space Wolves and the Word Bearers at the time. And but Magnus was like, no. They can, they can handle whatever it is that they're doing. I need you guys to go to this planet and secure it for me. And I found something on here that could be big. It's going to be huge. Just very, very huge. Something you've never seen before. Very, very President Trump-esque like. And so he goes on to there. And uh, he's they encounter these people who wear masks. And they don't even take the mask off when they have sex. And, it, and the only reason why I know that is because they specifically tell you in this book, because I forget who it is. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I for, it's either, it's either Araman or one of the remembrancers that are attached to, uh, attached to Araman. Dude, um, some boning yeah, yeah, on he, planet side. Yeah. It, he's like, he, like whoever's talking to this, uh, to basically this tribal, uh, uh, leader is like uh, he's like do you guys ever take these masks off do you, like what's up with these masks like do you have something to hide and he's like no we, we wear them all the time it's it's tradition and stuff like that and then just randomly the guy's like really oh what about when you have sex or when you procreate and he's like no we still keep them on so it just randomly came up in, in a thousand suns and it's pretty funny so they're on this planet with these mask people and they uh they have a village in a uh in a uh on a mountainside and they go up into the mountains and at this point uh magnus was up in the mountains working with these tribal people and because he found something and he hadn't uh airman hadn't heard from magnus in a really long time and magnus specifically told him don't come up here. Stay away. I don't care what you think. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's cool. 
just relax. But Airman being Airman and thinking he knows all and he's worried and he's freaking out. Uh, he gets worried, so he puts together his him and his boys of like a couple of Scarab Occult Terminators and uh, a couple of the other uh, company, uh, basically the, the circle commanders that were on the planet with him. And they go up into the mountainside to specifically try and find Magnus. And so at first they meet these people, the mask people, and they're they're about to just like fucking just click off safe on all on all the fucking combi bolters and blast all these people away. And then Magnus just comes out of this fucking cave, and then that's how they start meeting and talking. So they're at this cave that these tribal people basically have a shrine at. And the reason why they have a shrine is because Every once in a while, uh, they have these creatures who they believe are creatures come out of this cave and they are to sacrifice some like one of their their tribal members. So they have like a, a shrine, an altar, and they put somebody on the shrine and altar. And then basically this creature comes out from this cave, basically eats it and then goes back. And then they don't have to worry about those creatures coming out. Because it, the reason why they started doing that is because in the formation of their of their race, these creatures from the cave would just constantly just come out randomly and eat people and stuff like that. So once they started making sacrifices on a timely manner, it just stopped randomly and they were good. So Magnus was intrigued by this and Airman was also intrigued by this. And they were trying to figure out like why it was going on. And the whole reason why Magnus was there is because... He realized that, oh shit, this isn't just creatures living in a cave. This is a webway into the the warp. Like I can I can enter the warp through here and I could leave through here. And what was actually happening is you had demons that were coming out of that of that webway and basically eating these people. And so these people thought they were just like mount like mountain cave people or mountain cave creatures. They were just sacrificing them to because they were just living in a cave and they would come out every once in a while to eat. And then they would be satisfied with their hunger and then they'd go back in the cave. But it ended up not being the case. So when Magnus um, realized this, he started using this and he started creating... Uh, he basically ended up being like the Emperor and having the same thought. He's like, I got this webway to the warp. I could probably turn this into something good. So let me just work on this. So he tries to work on it and everything. And so th through that, that's really how Magnus really started realizing he could just like go into the warp and use it for uh, like his own ethereal travel. And other Thousand Sons can just go in there and, and get into ethereal travel. And the, the eventual plan was is that instead of using ships to manifest the warp, uh, that at some point that Magnus and the Thousand Sons can can learn and manifest this power so that they can actually just go in the warp and travel and then come out whenever they wanted and but basically be like Eldar. Like you would create these webway like these portals all across the other planets and then he would just walk in, travel the seas of the warp, and then come out at any time. So once that happened, uh and then Magnus found out about the whole uh, the whole Horus situation. He decided to that it would be quicker for him to travel the, through the warp in an ethereal form rather than uh, get into a ship 
and risk being caught by uh, by Horus. So he uses this basically this portal. He travels in an ethereal form to find the emperor, and then once he finds the emperor, he realizes for some reason that there's some sort of like warp protection around the emperor, and that he can't he can't get to the emperor. So he has to use his power to bust through it. So when he does that, the idiot doesn't realize that this was the project that the emperor was looking was building on after uh, the great uh, the great battles of Olinor. And this was the project he was working on this entire time. And that's what basically causes, like, all the custodies to start realize to, to plug up this hole and start fighting demons that are now starting to get released. But it all stemmed from Magnus breaking through this giant psychic barrier that the Emperor was building and protecting. And then that's where it stems, like, Magnus did nothing wrong. And that's about it. James, Standard narrative. Lead us into your uh, your more informed view. <laughs> I wouldn't say more informed. I just a lot of <laughs> My people. Best guess um, fictional future history. <laughs> I know that a lot of people say, "Oh, you know, he doomed the human race by destroying that webway entrance." Blah 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 blah. And I go, it doesn't quite make sense to me to be sorry to be the killjoy here, but. There's plenty of entrances into the webway. We know they exist. We've seen them. Uh, we know that the Golden Throne is not the only one of its type. Um, there was other ones, like the Dark Glass Project that pops up in the Scars novels. So, realistically, losing Terra's webway passage isn't a crippling blow to humanity. It's just a crippling blow to the work that's already been done. But I'm sure you could use a lot of the research from that in your second attempt anyway. But even disregarding that, with the webway, it doesn't matter who wins the heresy because the minute the Emperor is fucked up, he can't operate the webway. So therefore, humans can't go into it. He can't lead them anyway. So it doesn't really matter that Magnus destroyed the webway. It's just, oh no, this webway is, you know, it's got chaos everywhere behind it. Let's just close the doors, lock them up. <laughs> nice big chain around them, a few extra psychic wards, just conjure up a few, I'm sure it's within your reach, and uh, just seal that bitch off. Yeah, that I mean, that's I all mean, you got to do. They, they could have honestly just been like, yo, Dorn, yo, plug this hole, bud. Like, you yeah. got this. Like, like Chernobyl, you know, just uh, pour some more concrete in the reactor. <laughs> the reactor like, yeah, did yeah. not explode. Your guys are not. Yeah, and I mean, if you are uh, to believe uh, 8th edition 40k, uh, if that's the way you swing, then there's a webway portal on the fucking moon anyway, so... Like, <laughs> there's one There's one right there. It's like right next door. Uh, you know, Why you have didn't the ability we just to, use that one? <laughs> yeah, you, you have the ability to travel the stars. And if people say, oh, well, you know, it's the Golden Throne mechanism itself that um, enables it, then you're like, okay, great, there's... There's other ones of those, like I said, the Dark Glass Project. So, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Also, uh, there's also the, uh, I'm probably fucking it up, but I think it's called the, Tem no, it can't be. But for some reason in my mind, I want to say Temecula engine, but it's definitely not Temecula. But oh, it was that. Uh, T'Challa. That's a place in Arizona. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's the uh, the device that the Dark Angels use uh, on the in the Ultramar segmentum uh, to basically get away from Kurz when he blows up the building on him. Uh, oh, the uh, Pharos. The Pharos, the lighthouse of Alexandria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, basically whatever that thing was that uh, that was, like, basically had an attitude the entire time and was like, I'm not going to turn on for you, uh, but I'll turn on for you whenever I feel like it. And then fucking the Night Haunter goes all fucking crazy when he's getting into battle with Lionel Johnson in this church, and he basically rigs the whole place with explosives like... Uh, old Metal Gear Revolver Ocelot style. I don't know if anybody's ever played that game before. Yes, sir. Of course. Yeah, the fir- the yeah. first boss battle where you got uh, Mr. Ames Baker tied up in the, and then you have to fight Revolver Ocelot and there's all those C4 explosives and you can't touch it or else the whole thing explodes. Basically, <laughs> basically Kurz does that to the lion and his group of uh, Dark Angels, but then they use like this magic ancient device engine that like just transports them out of there and puts them on some other planet or something. I forget what exactly the planet, but basically saves their lives. But we're going off topic about that. But but it's another one of those psychic fucking ancient technologies that uses the warp and nobody knows how that really truly works. So Magnus is the only Primarch we know for certain what his role was post-Crusade. And that was he was there to run the Golden Throne. He was there to sit on the throne. That's the vision yep. he's shown, and that was the Emperor's purpose for him. The Emperor lets him know that, that was your purpose, Magnus, to run this golden throne. And so I think with the reprimand of the Thousand Sons, when the Emperor's like, well, you fucked up the project, I actually think he wasn't as pissed as people make it out to be. Because I, I think the reason he sends the Space Wolves to go collect the Thousand Sons, which, again, poor choice of legions, if ever there was one. Like, oh, yeah. He'd sent something like... I don't know, the Blood Angels or the White Scars definitely would have been a peaceful solution. Um, but instead, he, he sends in the Space Wolves. And I think what he wanted was to bring Magnus back to sit him on the throne and keep an eye on the door while the Emperor could look after other affairs. Yeah. I think that was just going to be his punishment. I th- and like, I, also, look- I, also, I also think that his punishment as well is not only bringing him back and... Uh, Basically, I think he was also going to have to bring back his entire legion as well. Um, I think he his whole job was he had to the damage that Magnus did due to that webway portal because he spent his entire time working on it up to this point, and then Magnus just comes in at an instant and just takes it down. I think the Emperor also realized like, whoa, maybe I fucked up making this because if Magnus can get through it just like that. Maybe I need to use him and consult with him and figure out how to make this thing stronger. So I also believe that he was going to use Magnus's power to repair it as well as make it stronger. And then also use the psychic, like the psychic powers of his legion to just fasten it up and, and quicken up the pace of all the damage that he's done. Well, sending, sending in the Thousand Sons to fight alongside the Custodes and the Sisters of Silence... Uh, obviously, the sisters and the sons not operating exactly oh, yeah, yeah. in close proximity, with, with but um, would definitely be a good way to fight off the demons in the warp. And uh, it would give the Emperor a chance to make new wards to seal it up the damage, as you say, um, with Magnus sitting on the throne, which can't do any of that, unfortunately, um, because the Space Wolves go and wreck everything, which 
can we diverge for a moment and just say what a fucking moron Leman Russ is? Oh yeah. So it's like you rock up to a planet. There's no enemy fleet in sight. All their defenses are turned off, and you're like, no questions asked. Let's fucking sack this bitch. Got to do this in the <laughs> the way I can expend the most well, amount of resources possible. It's like, yeah, it's like we're not going to send an emissary down or anything. We're not going to send, like, because I think in Prospero Burns, they talk about him, like, trying to communicate or something with the Thousand Suns. But it's like, just send, like, a fucking squad down there and just be like, okay, you're all under arrest. Oh, oh, that was pretty easy, you know? Instead of, let's just fucking psychotic torpedo this bitch. <laughs> and, 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 like, you know... No one kind of that I know of. Like uh, Jimbo from South Park, and we're like, they're coming straight at us. It's just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like, it's like the Mongolian response to a city that held out. You know, if a city defied the Mongolians, Mongolians are like, all right, let's tear down their shitty walls and fuck this joint over. Kill everyone there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, whereas the Thousand Suns were like, no, no, like, please come right in. Look, no, no spaceships, no defenses. And then the wolves are like, yeah, fucking destroy everything. Well, to, to to Lehman Russ's defense, he did set he did communicate with the Thousand Sons and talk to Magnus and was like, "Hey, man, if you don't give up right now, you know what I'm gonna fucking do. You know what my purpose is." And so Magnus basically was like, "Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Think about this." And he's like, "Listen, man, I take my orders from the Emperor." I love you. You're my you're my buddy and everything, but you know what I'm fucking here to do. Can you just come up here and surrender and give up your dudes? And obviously, Magnus is like, well, you know, I'm not gonna just willy nilly just give up everything. Well, he doesn't necessarily do that because it's weird. He doesn't just tell like, this is where it's it's just a thousand sons is just a superior book than Prospero Burns. I, Prospero Burns is a shitty book. To be it honest, it's everything up. It, it's, it's a pretty shitty book. So in Prospero Burns, they make it seem like Lehman Russ, he like that he talks to, to Magnus, and Magnus is just like, well, I mean, just think about this. Don't come down here and do what you're about to do. And then Lehman Russ is like, well, you know what I'm here to do. But in A Thousand Sons, one, they don't ever talk about that. And two, Araman is the reason why they actually started getting into a battle on Prospera. Because Magnus told Araman when the Space Wolves and the, the, the Custodes and the, the Sister of Silence entered into the system, Magnus already knew what was going to happen. Magnus knew that they were going to come down here, they were going to censor them, they were going to bring them back or kill them or whatever. Magnus knew what was going to happen. So what Magnus told Araman and the rest of the Thousand Sons was, hey, this is our fate. Put down your weapons. Just let them come and do whatever it is they're here to do. But, but Araman and like about half of the circle commanders and I, like, so, like, so we didn't really talk about it, but like organization of the Thousand Sons is they have like these circles and there's it's nine coming. circles. It's coming. They have nine circles. And every circle is led by basically a circle commander, which would be a, a, a praetor equivalent. Um, and so there's there's a couple of them that side with Airmen, and then there's a couple of them that side with, with Magnus because they're to like they're literally torn. You have a you have a genetically modified martial warrior, and 
he's enhanced by psychic ability who believes they know more than than everybody else and you have half of them that are like uh i'm gonna follow the words of my father which is magnus because he knows he knows it all basically and then you have the other half which is airmen and like most of the terran born dudes are like uh we are warriors and we have these guys that are coming down here and they're attempting to stop us from doing what we're supposed to do. And we're not doing anything wrong. So we're going to go fuck these dudes up. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. And that's basically how it went down. But it's just weird how Prospero Burns talks about how there was this conversation between Magnus and Lehman Russ and Magnus basically saying like, well, don't, don't please don't come down here. Like, think about this. And then Lehman Russ is like, if like if you don't come up now and give up, then I'm coming down there. But Magnus was telling all of his dudes in a thousand sons, like, hey, listen, we're just gonna give this up because this is our fate. Uh, this is what we're gonna do. And it's one of the reasons why uh, they lost the battle of well, the battle of Prospero is disputed because a lot of people died. It wasn't just like a clean sweep of Sisters of Silence and because you basically had every single entity of like the Emperor there. Like it was the only time the Ordo Sinister was used. You had Titan Legions. You had I, Legios, I have a problem with that. I yeah. have a problem with the Ordo Sinister. You have Legios Astiobax that was there to help out from uh, Zargo Ahad, which was the nearest Forge world that built all of the Thousand Sun stuff. And then you had... Uh, uh, House Xana, right? The knights with the knight poor fire on. They were the ones that were the significant use of the house pie fire on, and they were the the knight pie fire on, and they were there blasting uh, knights and uh, other fucking uh, titans. And then you got the sisters of silence, whose presence just the, being a pariah fucks up uh, psychers. The, obviously, the space wolves going around just carnage style, and then you had the custodies, these big buffed up. Like, basically, two space marines combined into one, just fucking everything up. And then you have the Thousand Suns, who are just using psychic bullets and, like, making... It's... I can't underestimate, like, how awesome a Thousand Suns is when it talks about the Battle of Prospero, because you really find out how the Thousand Suns actually operate, which is uh, different from how they're played on the tabletop. They did include how they play a little bit of how, like, how they're, like, in the lore they're depicted within the tabletop where they have the, 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 the cults. But the whole purpose of the cults and the circles, they were, they were separate, but they were together at the same time. So organizationally, you would be, you would be sent to one of the nine circles. And then within your circle, and, and let's say your squad, let's say you're a legionnaire in a thousand sun squad, you would be part of the same circle that the rest of your squad would be part of. But at the same time, every single member of that squad would be part of a different cult. And that was their whole, once they became like a psychically focused martial entity, that was their whole whole focus, is that you would have a guy from the Corvidae, a guy from a, the Athenian, and then you would have a guy from the Raptora, all in the same squad. 
And it's so fucking cool when you listen to the Battle of Prospero because you got like Athenian dudes that are like using biomancy powers to like basically boil the blood inside space wolves and and it's it's just fucking cool. And then you got like Corviday guys that are like pushing dudes out the way because they see like a bullet like come that that hits like a split second later. And that's how like they're all supposed to use their psychic powers is one is supposed to enhance the other. And well, it's the sorry, the the way ahead. I'd I'd put it is um I think back to when they're actually having the battles where they're fighting alongside the other legions earlier in the book and they talk about the actual squads in combat is um, a really good part to look at where they define it. So it's like, imagine you're like a section 10-man unit um, or a couple of bricks moving through an area. The Corvidae guys will be like, okay, a couple of dudes are going to jump us around this corner and start firing yeah. at us. So then the telepaths and, the, uh, sorry, the uh, telekines in the squad will be like, cool, we're going to throw up a fucking shield and we're going to walk around this corner. And the pirate guys are like, cool, we're going to launch some fucking firebolts at them. <laughs> and then the biomass will be like, cool, anyone gets hit, we're going to fix that wound. And that's how they'd sort of operate as a squad. So it's like, well, other Marines would like get up to the corner, step out, get ambushed, hit by a few rounds, maybe one drops. And then one will turn to the others and be like, okay, around this corner, you know, there's two guys at the three o'clock behind that car, um, at the four o'clock behind that fucking brick wall. Instead, the Thousand Suns all know automatically because they're all in communion with each other psychically. They're like, yeah. As soon as one of them senses it, they're like, okay, this is what's happening. And everyone knows right up to the top, even Magnus. So in the middle of a battle, Magnus can just be like, all right, I want a squad to move that way, a squad to move that way. I need you guys over here. And it all just happens in a split second. They're just incredibly in sync with one another. Um, whereas the other legions have to use what the Thousand Sons call crude, uh, actually using like words yeah. and uh, <laughs> signals and symbols to each other. Um, whereas the Thousand Suns are like, oh, we know there's an ambush around this corner. Let's fucking ambush the ambushes. And they just do it, uh, which is why they have so few casualties um, and why they think they're so, you know, it adds to the hubris why they think they're yeah. so superior because yeah. they're like, well, none of you other cunts can do this. So... Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think with the Battle of Prospero, the Thousand Suns would have easily cakewalked it. They would have won, even with the Sisters of Silence. Yep. Um, because what the Thousand Suns did, their strategy for dealing with them was just, uh, it's like they can extend an aura. They can feel the world around them. And whenever they feel a void, they're like, oh, there's a Sister of Silence there. So they just aim their fucking bulk in that direction. Yeah. Squeeze the trigger. Oh, the void went. Cool. Sister of Silence dead. <laughs> like, real fucking effective. Um, so, uh, in the battle, like you've got to think, the Thousand Suns have no fleet. They have none of their orbital defenses in play. They have everything turned off except the shield over their main capital city. They have no one set in their defensive areas, none of the defenses manned on the ground. Half their legion isn't even in the fight. Their Primarch isn't in the fight. And Magnus is actively trying to dull their powers down with his own um, mind to prevent them from seeing what's coming or from reacting to it. So it's like, since they kill, I think it's about a third of the Space Wolves Legion in the fight, yeah. even though the Space Wolves have a bigger Legion and the Custodes with them and the Sisters. It's like, if you then add back in the Thousand Suns fleet, the Primarch helping them, their full forces being entrenched, you know they'd win the fight. Yeah, It'd yeah. probably hurt the Thousand Suns a lot, but they'd win the fight. And that was the Chaos God's whole thing was... 
not only will the Thousand Suns kill the Space Wolves, but we'll also gain a powerful legion for our own uses. And Magnus sort of subverts that, um, out Dick Zench, as it were. Yeah, so, like, I forgot that I was getting to the point of, but, but Mac already said it, is in the very beginning of the Battle of Prospero, if Magnus was in the battle and half the other Legion joined the other half of the Legion, like, the Legion was at full strength, like, I, at this point, they, they wouldn't even need the fleet. Or, or even their orbital defenses. If it was just simply from right as soon as the the forces of a thou, the uh, the space wolves, the custodes, and the uh, sisters of silence landed, and Magnus and the full legion was in the battle, they would have wiped everybody out. Like Magnus had his full power going against uh, that legion would have just absolutely decimated everybody, to include Lehman Ross, which I. Um, I, I I absolutely believe that Lehman Rust would have actually been destroyed by, by Magnus. Magnus, yeah. Magnus was absolutely like he was dulling his power. And the, the only reason why Magnus, uh, like Magnus, you, the way to look at it is Magnus uses full power in that one-on-one battle with Lehman Rust at the very end when he got his back broken and was like, all right, me and the boys need to get out of here. This is not cool anymore. See you later. And then, and then, boom, they're transported. Like their whole planet's gone. They're they're out of there. Uh, you, you do get a you do get a taste of his power just before the Lehman Rust fight, where a whole company of space wolves is crossing um, a little river, like a, a water feature, as it were, to Magnus's temple, and Magnus just Thanos snaps his snaps his fingers, and the whole fucking river turns to ass, and he just melts a whole company of space wolves. Yeah, in a split second. <laughs> Yeah, just destroys an entire company. And well, when he fights even, Russ, Magnus holds back. He doesn't use his psychic powers. He could have blown him away psychically. He yeah. has the power, like the Emperor, to kill another Primarch and wipe their essence from existence. He chooses not to, though, because he fights Russ in a fist fight. Uh, because he, he sort of sees it as, this punishment is coming to me. Yep. I deserve this punishment. And he holds back uh, in like a self-flagellating way. Let's... Lehman Russ win the fight, but you know Lehman Russ fights dirty. Of course, sticks the wolves on him. Um, you know, punches him in the one good eye. Um, <laughs> you know, Magnus is still holding his own a fist fight with Russ, which is you know not a bad effort. Uh, but when you consider he gets shot at by two uh, corrupted Phantom Titans at the start of the novel and is able to take a hit from them, and he's able to destroy one of them, I don't think Lehman Russ is really that much of a match for him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so... No matter, no matter what people say, it's basically yeah, fur real, bag fanboys. Real, real quick about that is, uh, so when they're in the beginning of the book, when I told you that they were on a guru, uh, they were at that shrine that was outside of that mountain cave entrance where the demons were coming out and they were, like, sacrificing people to, to get eaten by these demons. Uh, there were two uh, Eldar statues. And so... Uh, they were like going up to the statues and they were like, huh, this is weird. This is not like normal marble or stone. This is actually feels like Wraithbone. This, this is pretty cool. Like, it's weird that they would make a statue like this. Well, lo and behold, that many, many moons ago, the Eldar knew about this open webway on this planet. And so what they did was in case the, in case like, more than one demon manifestation would come out to, come out of this webway. 
those uh, those Titans would awake and they were there to defend it. So when Magnus and the Thousand Sons are there with the Space Wolves, because at this point the Space Wolves had already hit up and came down to, to a guru because they were like, what the fuck, Magnus? Like, you were supposed to come help us out with the word bearers. Uh, what are you doing? And then Magnus and Airman, they were like, well, come over here and we'll show you. And so once they go over there, they basically wake up these Eldar uh, Phantom Titans and they start fucking everybody up. Like, they're fucking a thousand suns. They're fucking up Space Wolves. They're fucking up the Space Wolves even more because, let's be honest, like, even in the book, they talk about how, like, they're just straight up barbarian-like and they're just, like, running at this Titan and they figure, like, they're going to just, like, chop this Titan down and stuff like that. But they're just getting absolutely wasted. And, like, the Thousand Suns are hiding behind rocks and shit. And Magnus is like, oh, fuck, like, I got to do this. So Magnus runs out in the open and this Eldar Titan just, like, straight up point blank, just, black, like, ass blast them with this giant fucking D-beam of death. And, uh, like, all the Thousand Suns just start instantly crying and, like, they start feeling all sorts of fucked up in their head with these psych abilities because they feel like Magnus is dead. But then basically Magnus just like teleported out of the way of the shot, teleported basically inside the Titan and then just ripped it apart. And then they're like, oh, fuck, this dude can do this? This is fucking insane. And that's how basically Magnus defeated like the Eldar Titans. It was pretty dope. There's a lot of cool sort of stories like that. Like one battle, they're fighting the orcs and the orcs sending gargants and Magnus being like the emperor can change his size at will. So he just scales himself up to the size of an orc gargant and punches on with it. <laughs> just, just these fun old, like that's old hammer, like Warhammer epic. Yeah. Uh, 40,000. I think that oh, one came out in. There's, there's also that part in a thousand suns. So like I said, the thousand suns come down to the planet and are like, what the fuck Magnus, where are you at dude? And when that happens, Magnus knows that the Space Wolves are coming. And it's pretty cool because uh, leading up to this, you have, like, the story of, like, these three Remembrancers. One works with Araman, one works with Magnus, and another one, I forget who he works with. But basically, uh, this one Remembrancer goes crazy, and she starts, in the middle of the night, without her knowing, she starts scribbling these notes down because she's going fucking insane. And the notes are saying, the wolves are coming, the wolves are coming, the wolves are coming. She doesn't realize that this is talking about Prospero. But they think it's because the Space Wolves are coming down to a guru. So Magnus and all the Thousand Sons and a guru have a big giant parade formation where, the th where they know that the Space Wolves are going to land to come find out what they're doing. So they're out there in formation. Magnus is on his big fucking like throne-like... Throne altar and they see the space wolves come down the space wolves come down and this viking fuck comes out and he walks towards the parade formation and then he's like he's like you're supposed like he's he just basically looks at magnus and is like you're 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 not at the right place you're supposed to come down here and help us out and you're ordered to come back and like basically be, being very disrespectful and so Magnus, being very upset about this, all he does is just freeze time. Like, literally freezes time. And 
everything around him, time is frozen. And he just walks up to the Space Wolf dude and is like, if you ever fucking talk to me like that again, I will fucking obliterate you and everybody that you're around. And then he just like snaps his finger and time is back to normal. And he's like all cheerful and like stuff. He's like, oh, welcome, fellow Space Legionnaire, Legion Astartes friend. Uh, let's not act like I just froze time and told you that I was going to make you disappear at the snap of my finger. Well, he even tells him, like, I'll reach up into orbit and tear the fucking heart out of your starship. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he lays on thick, and then the Thousand Suns like, can you actually do that? And Magnus is like, you know, I've never tried. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although he does, in the Primarch novels, he does, um, there is an actual crashing Imperial starship. Um, not a super huge one, you know, probably only a kilometer or two, I think it's described as. Um, and he stops that. So... I guess it is within his power range to rip the heart out of Starship. Yeah, the dude's the dude's fucking insane. Like absolutely like fucking crazy. If if like, if anything, Forge World undersold his rules, which I'm fine with. Um I always wanted them to, to soup him right up and just charge like, you know, I don't care if he's a twelve hundred point Primark. I really don't. Um I think the rules are okay. People don't understand how bad things could be. Yeah, this <laughs> is possibly what I'm getting at. I, I for one, uh, so I used my thousand sons at the Boys of the Golden Thrones recent event that they had, the the seventy seventy fourth Deuces Gone Wild event, and I went into it. Uh, basically, I was like, well, you know what? Let me see how the new thousand sons rules actually work out. So for my smaller game of two point five k, I used the Axis of Disillusion Right of War, and we'll get to this later, and then. For the big game, I used Magnus and the Court of the Crimson King Rite of War. And to be honest, that the the, the new bullshit rule where it's the, the unhinged or un whatever the fuck they call it now for Magnus, where you spend like nearly 700 points for Magnus and you don't get you, you don't get Mind Wrath on 2d6 anymore and it's not even D anymore. Uh it's shitty. It's not worth it. I mean, yeah. No, no, no offense, but like, if you're if you're close to damn near seven hundred points, I think Magnus should have his D ability, like D shot ability. Uh, he because... he should have. Sorry, they they did sort of a hard nerf with the Thousand Suns. Yeah, where it's like all they need to do is just make that ability one use per game. You know, just something like. Oh, you know, it just it does drain him physically. You can use this ability once per game. And yeah, it could be strong, yeah. but it could be nothing. Because, I mean, it's a D-strength weapon, potentially, but it's also potentially AP5. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, depending on what spell he's casting, uh, it only got ridiculous when people would just cast it every single turn. But that's the player's at fault, as opposed to Magnus. But, I mean, they came down harsh with some of those... Um, I just, frankly, refused to play some of the Forge World rules, because... I'm that salty guy who thinks he knows better. Um, I, I think before what, what, we go into rules talk, we should probably talk about like what the cults and that are. Sorry to oh, diverge. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit of a legion, legion kind of force organization. So obviously you have the fellowships, um, which are and there's nine of them, and they're your sort of big uh, legionnaires studies companies chapters whatever you want to call them but you're talking about ten thousand marines give or take in each of them 
And then, obviously, the fellowships have their own little subunits. But the main thing is it's fellowships. Each captain of the fellowship is sort of a master of one of the arts or the head of a cult. And out of the cults, there are the Raptora, Pavoni, the Athenaean, Corvidae, and Pyrae. I think that's all the cults. Yep. There's also a mortuary cult after like dreadnoughts and that sort of thing and there is one that was banned by magnus whose whole job was just to explore the nature of the warp um sort of philosophers that sort of thing and i think they were getting too close to the truth of what the warp was uh and that's when magnus pulled the pin on them he's like well 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 no 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 forbidden knowledge uh disbanding yeah, so, this cult. uh what you're talking about when you talk about the dreadnoughts and stuff like that so you have the fivefold cults so it's it's really it's really weird and confusing and the whole purpose of this is like magnus made it this way so the fellowships were called the circles and then basically the a lot of the depictions you see of a thousand suns runes and stuff like that you'll see circles within circles and magnus made the legion to mimic this symbol that you see a lot and so you have the fivefold cults, which basically determine which psychic discipline that you were in. Then you had a no-ship military organization of fellowship. So whatever fellowship circle you belong to, uh, just for accountability purposes, that, that's what that purpose served. The cults served the purpose of which psychic discipline that you would focus in on. And then you also had the Red Orders. Those you had... Three. So you had uh, the Order of the Ruin, the Unmakers, the Order of the Jackal, which is the uh, the Apothecaries and the um, the Dreadnoughts, and then you had the Order of the Blindness, or the Hidden Ones, where the uh, the Amatara cult came from, which is a unit that we'll get into in the rules. But basically, like these orders, they had a specific purpose. So the Order of the Jackal, which was the measure of life and death. Uh, it's exactly what it, it, it's funny. It's exactly what it means. So when you were close to death and you were entombed in a dreadnought, you belong to the order of the jackal. Likewise, if you were an apothecary and you were part of the Athenian cult, because all apothecaries were most likely in the Athenian cult because they practice, or I'm sorry, Pavani, because they practice, uh, uh, biomancy, then you were also part of the order of the jackal because it's the order of life and death and that's basically how they belong to um the order of blindness was the one for the amatara cult which were basically the and it was also used for scouts and like uh i think the destroyers would also be considered part of the order of blindness um but it's supposed to basically be more of spies intelligence people uh recon dudes stuff like that but primarily the amatera cult and then you had the order of ruin which is the unmakers these were basically the legion consoles like the logisticians uh the master of signals like all of those special staff officers would fall into the order of ruin and then go ahead yeah no that's that's a much better way of putting it than um I did. <laughs> uh, so the five main cults themselves, Raptora, Pavoni, Athenaean, Corvidae, Pyrae, they are basically uh, biomancy, telepathy, telekinesis, uh, divination, and pyromancy. 
And Magnus himself is the one who sort of discovered, quote-unquote, uh, those disciplines and disseminated them. And, and so people basically have a leaning towards one. Uh, very rarely will they be good at multiple things. They're generally only good at the one sort of uh, skill set. So it's like, yeah, all right, Magnus, uh, sorry, Araman has, for example, he talks about the fact that, you know, he has a real hard time using things like fire energy. Um, or casting lightning bolts using telekinesis, but seeing the future comes really easily to him. Whereas he has to really work at it um, to get those other abilities, and even then it's very underwhelming, the results. And during the burning of Prospero, when mm, the sort of psychic uh, background noise is at its peak, he discovers that he actually he can access those other abilities that he couldn't before. Um, makes a big note of how interesting that is to him. And that's sort of one of Zench's gifts to them is it amplified all of those abilities. But those basic cults are what define the Thousand Suns uh, because very much the nature of the cult is also represented by the Astartes. So the Corvidae um, are very cool, down-to-earth, whereas the Pyrae are very hot-headed. Not only are they pyromancers, but it's very literal. They're very hot-headed, rash, quick to anger, that sort of thing. Um, and so... Again, Magnus developed these systems and can use all of these abilities uh, and then some more special ones that are unique to him. But the cult system is really at the heart of the Thousand Suns and it's played out very much that way in the game, which is that uh, the forces can... They have to be led by a Praetor who has one of the cults and every unit in the army has to have a cult, but your troops' choices have to share the same cult as the actual praetor or the warlord of the army which can be good can be bad depending on what uh depending on what you're taking uh originally there was some other weird things there like you could take a cult and then take psychic powers from a different uh psychic table but forge world in their faq did clean that one up which is a suggestion i made for quite a long time which i'm glad they did So I don't know if they listen to me. They probably listen to someone uh, they like more. <laughs> no one on Which this is... podcast. Don't worry. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say, it's pretty much anyone. And they would like more. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's the cults. And um, of course, you have the fellowships. And important to note, out of all the legions, the Thousand Suns are the one that could never be infiltrated by the Alpha Legion. And in fact, Magnus, it's very specifically listed in the Alpha Legion's own fluff in book three. Magnus would not deal with them ever. Just hated their fucking guts. Um, Is there slimy and, fucking tricksters? <laughs> well, they could sniff it out. The Thousand Suns have an in, intimate, innate connection between one another. In fact, every Thousand Sun has a purple scarab on their chest which Magnus handcrafted for each of the guys. Whoa. Yeah. And so every one of them has a bond to their Primarch and to each other. So you can't just walk on in and just be like, oh, you know, I too am a thousand sun. It doesn't work like that. They're just like, yeah, no, you're not. They just know. Um, and so that's why Magnus never would deal with them, I believe, is from what I've read in the fluff, it's basically hinted they tried it, they got caught out. Magnus was like, fuck off with you now. <laughs> which is perfectly within character of him he's not um the sort of primarch that's very wrathful towards his brothers he's very forgiving um yep 
And I suppose that's his way of saying, look, I don't appreciate what you did, but I'm not going to, you know, dob on you, as it were. Just stay the fuck away from my legion and do what you want. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, in, 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 all, re- in all reality, uh, Magnus was, was very... Um, his personality with his brothers was very much like uh, Vulcan. It was very like he loved everybody. Like he loved all of his, uh, all of his brothers, and he was very, very cordial and very appreciative of all of them. He he didn't really have a bad a, a bad uh, opinion of any of them, and it was like it, like it's crazy how like and and all the all the other Primarchs basically loved him just as much as he loved them, and just. He was he like I said he was like Vulcan like everybody never had anything bad to say about Magnus before Nikea. Um Martarian, except, well, except for Mortarian and yeah, Mortarian was probably like the only one because he knew that he was like he was like yeah using psychic abilities and this is wrong. Ah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I want to be fair, human. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Magnus he got along obviously very well with Jagatai. Uh, yeah. It's a shame that they're not battle brothers in the... Uh, that's one of the ones I disagree with. They should be battle brothers, White Stars absolutely. and Suns. So it's uh, just instead, Lorgar? Lorgar and the Word Bearers should be absolutely battle brothers? Yes. Um, Lorgar even calls Magnus directly for advice after he gets sanctioned at Monarchia. Yep. He's like, you know, what What do I do? Um, you know, and, and he's like, I'm turning to other sources. And Magnus is like, don't. Don't do that. That's bad. Just, oh. you know... Listen, listen to Dad. Like you don't need to search for something to believe in, you know. Um, obviously, advice Lorgar doesn't take. Yeah, uh, and but... also in uh, in fucking Aurelian, where it talks about like that whole book. Aurelian, also fen- fucking phenomenal novel because it's Lorgar's travel through the warp, which basically sets him up to realize about the ruinous powers. And it's where he kills a bloodthirster, and it's fucking awesome. But like in the very beginning of that book, like you have, and it's it's post Prospero, and you have Magnus in ethereal form with Horus, Lorgar, and Demon Fulgrim, and Magnus and Lorgar are the only ones that realize that there's something fucked up about Fulgrim, and so like Lorgar just gets like super pissed off. And he brings out that fucking giant dope ass mace he has, and just basically kills fucking Fulgrim on Fulgrim on this ship. And Magnus is like, "Well, you really didn't kill him. He's a demon right now, um, so he's just gonna come back to life." But but Fulgrim is the only one like looking around at his like fellow traitor brothers and be like, "Is anybody not seeing what I'm seeing right here? Like, he's not our brother that we all thought he was." It was pretty cool. He um. Magnus also has a good relationship with Perturabo, at least in the early years. Uh, they even go to Terra together, uh, digging yeah, up old archaeological... fucking bro vacation. Yeah, <laughs> they have a full Indiana Jones vacation, like, you know, digging up fucking Holy Grail and shit. What Magnus is like, I want to find the books and the Isotera, and uh, Perturabo's like, I want to find, like, the cool ancient machines and the lost technology. And it's like the two complement each other very well. Of course, with Jagatai, they're both sort of on the edges. They're not really loved by anyone. Not hated, but not loved. They're just sort of the outsiders. And they both really strongly identify with that. And the Khan coming from a planet where 
shamans and mystical people are looked up to for the insight they can give he sort of respects and understands magnus's psychic powers and magnus is one of the only people in fact probably the only person who really understands that you know the, there's more to the white scars than it seems that they're actually really cultured deep down to the point where the thousand sons even have learned the language of the white scars and can speak to them in it like which is uh, you know nobody else does that yeah <laughs> uh, that the, the, the white scars do note the thousand sons speak the language funny but at least they gave a shit and, and speak the language whereas nobody yep. else will speak it and it was the um, white scar it was the white scars uh representative at nikea that actually came up to Magnus afterwards and said, like, we, we support you. Like, we don't agree with the Council of Nikea. Yeah, uh, and in fact, the White Scars didn't even listen to, to it. Yeah. They're like, we take orders from the Khan anyway, so, you know, what you going to do about it? Uh, and, of course, Sanguinius, he got along well with Magnus because he got along well with everyone. And, in fact, it was Magnus, the Khan, and Sanguinius together who created the Librarius because those three actually really helped to calm each other down and come to a really good uh, balanced viewpoint, which was, you know, Magnus is like, we need psychers in the legions. The others were like, yes, we do. But the Khan was like, you know, we need to restrain the psychers. And the Khan always felt after Nakia that, uh, and Perturabo was the same. They both said, you know, he was literally thrown to the wolves with no one to back him. And uh, in the Khan's case, he's like, you know, I'm not a psyker. If I had been there, it would have been a different outcome because my word would have carried more weight as I'm not a psyker and not biased like they the others were at the council. Yeah. So, and yeah, it's interesting to know it was Angel Exterminatus where Perturabo said, you know, Magnus was thrown to the wolves. What a fucking sham Nikea was. So, <laughs> you know, even even then, you know, it transcended. And Perturabo is not a sentimental guy. So for him to say that, sort of you know they must have been a good connection there uh other primarchs like gilliman gilliman saw the need for the librarius uh even if he didn't necessarily agree with psychers and of course he was jealous of tizka and copied sections of tizka's artwork uh sorry uh, architecture into mccrag which is another funny thing typical gilliman just stealing other people's ideas uh and i think that was really it for his list of friends everyone else was either meh on Magnus, or outright hated him, specifically Mortarian and Liman Russ. Yeah, uh, really didn't like him, and their reasons are weird. Uh, Mortarian just doesn't like the warp, even though like the warp helped make him, and Liman Russ uses psychers himself, but they're not psychers, except they are. But yeah, not. let's talk about let's talk about the number one asshole in the Thousand Suns universe, uh, Mister Off. Othmir Verdmeg. He is the number... He is honestly the reason of the Battle of Prospero. So, Mr. Othmir Verdmeg uh, is a so-called rune priest that doesn't use the warp. He uses the power of their piss-filled, dog-piss-filled lake to uh, conjure all these abilities. And... Uh, so he's like the number one rune priest that that in the th in the book of Thousand Sons like starts off wanting to liaise with Aramin at the planet of Guru and basically follows step by step with uh, Aramin throughout the whole entire book and then it ends up being at the end of the book at the Battle of Prospero 
uh, Araman getting in this one-on-one duel with the with Othvir Veardmake in the warp. Like, these dudes go ethereal, and then they go into the warp, and they start fighting each other. And because, spoiler alert, the rune priests don't practice the warp, uh, this weird... It's magic, uh, bro. It's different. <laughs> it's, it's dog magic, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because because they're, they're ignorant that they're not using the warp, uh, and he goes ethereal with Araman into the warp to do this one-on-one battle. Uh, Araman basically kicks his fucking ass all over the warp. It's great because he's like, yeah, remember what? Basically, Araman's like, remember when you said you never practiced in the warp at Nikea? Well, that's because you really don't understand what your whole psychic ability comes from, and you never play in this little universe that we call the warp, and that we practice with in every other day, and basically, like, absolutely destroys him and kills him in the warp. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely... What, what, what are those things where it's like the other wolves are there, and Weird Mate just sort of stops and just crumples in a shit heap on the ground? Yeah. <laughs> like, like his, his soul itself was what was killed, whereas, like, his physical body just sort of collapses, and everyone's like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. All right, let's, <laughs> let's, let's keep raping and pillaging, you know? Um, yeah, that was that was pretty nice when uh, Araman kills that guy. But literally, yeah, they're adventuring together in the warp at one point when they like first meet. Um, they're flying through the the uh, warp itself together psychically, and Weird makes like, no, 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 we uh, we get our powers from yeah the piss lake uh, with all the mosquitoes from like Hobby Camp One. Uh, <laughs> you know, we we have mosquito powers. Uh, we don't use the warp, and Araman's just sort of like the one raised eyebrow, like, are you possibly retarded? <laughs> like, you know, it's just one of those funny things. Yeah, so. and that, and that's why that's why it's so funny at the Council of Nikea is like Magnus is like looking up at Malkador and it and and looks at Mortarian and then looks at Weirdmake because in the middle of the Council of Nikea, Offmere Weirdmake literally walks into the center of this fucking stadium. And looks at Malkador and is be like, I think we should censor the Thousand Suns because they use the power of the warp. And even though my staff is glowing of runes right now, I do not use the power of the warp. And they should be censored. And then Magnus <laughs> Magnus is like, this is literally what happens. Magnus looks up at Malkador. He looks at Othmir Weirdmeg. And he looks at Mortarian. And basically like, is like, Am I, am I taking crazy pills here? Like, you got this asshole over here that uses magic, but he does. He says it doesn't come from the warp, but we all know the warp is the only magic entity in this fucking place. And then you got Mortarian over here that has dudes that literally transform in and out the warp as their death shroud, and you're going to sit there and say they don't use pe- the magic of the warp? And then you got Araman next to Magnus, and he is so baffled by all of this crazy hypocrisy he gets this super headache and passes out. <laughs> like I'm, like Damn. it's he literally just he he, he like, can't deal he, with the stupid. Yeah, he like he 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 pulls he ends up like farting and burping and coming all at the same time, and he like passes out of all the stupidity. And next thing you know, he wakes up in the in like one of the holding rooms that they put Magnus in before the IKEA, and he's like. What the fuck just happened? Did, did was this a dream? Like, did the Council of Nikea actually happen? And he's like, 
yeah, bud, you actually like passed out and shit yourself on the floor. Uh, basically, after that, everybody just walked out and basically said we can't practice magic anymore. So we're sort of fucked. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I need to bring up Prospero Burns again here because uh, again, this is part of delving into the Thousand Suns fluff. Is there's a lot of contradictory and weird shit, and Prospero Burns is responsible for probably ninety percent of it. And there's this scene in that, like, it leads directly to them banning the powers. And that's that um, there's this remembrance of dude who's with the Space Wolves uh, and some Custodes. And they bump into Amon, um, who's sort of Magnus's equerry. Uh, very high-ranking captain of the Thousand Suns, Sir Ben Kinnersley. And he... <laughs> uh, seriously, anyone who's seen the artwork, it's Ben yeah, Kinnersley. He was, like, he was also... Uh... He was also uh, Magnus, Magnus's basically surrogate father on, on Prospero. Yes, like Corferon, but not a douchebag. Yep. And so they bump into Amon, and Amon's using, like, their true names to paralyze them. And then, like, psychically fucking with them and that kind of thing. And, like, none of that makes any fucking sense. Like, at the council in Ikea, what the fuck is some, like, random space halls and custody is doing in, like... And they're on, like, the upper floors of the stadium. So think of, like, a football stadium. And there's just, like, oh, up on fucking seat 30 in fucking um, the B fucking side of the court, there's just this altercation going on. Nobody notices it. Uh, and then they, like, kill him. They're like, oh, it was just a demon. Ah, uh, fuck it, let's blame the Thousand Suns anyway. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> this makes no sense. So it's like they blame Amon, even though they know that it was not Amon. They blame the Thousand Suns. Like, it's just one of those weird things. Like the, the author of Prospero Burns worked it in there as a reason, one of the reasons why they get censured. And they're like, oh, well, you know, they fucked with the custodians and space wolves upstairs. You're like, but you know they didn't. You know it was not them. Yep. So it's, it's like you're yeah, at court. And you're fucking, this person is on trial, and then outside the courtroom, someone shoots someone else, and then you're like, oh, well, that's evidence that this person in the courtroom is guilty. You know, it, none of it makes sense. So when we go on this long-winded tangent about weird things with the Thousand Suns, this is the sort of shit that pops up off to the side that you've got to work your way through. And, and yeah, Prospero Burns just takes a dump on all the good work done in the Thousand Suns. Yeah, so it like like even be, even talking in this episode in this episode right now about the Thousand Sons and a lot of this stuff is coming from the novel Thousand Sons. Like, I'm getting excited and I might just like re-listen to a Thousand Sons over the next couple of weeks because it's just that fantastic of a novel. And then even I thought it was gonna be shitty, but it ended up being fantastic. The follow up after a Thousand Sons. Don't go. Don't listen to Prospero Burns. Just avoid it. Listen to a Crimson King. It's a direct sequel after A Thousand Suns that still follows the A Thousand Sun, the Thousand Suns uh, perspective of things and what happens, and it's it's fucking great. Like because believe it or not, in the beginning of A Thousand Suns and throughout the novel, when they when they bring up the three uh, big remembrancers, so you got Callista Eris. Uh, Lemanuel Gallman and then Camille uh, Shivani. Those three remembrancers in A Thousand Sons are huge characters in the entire heresy and what they do uh, that and, and the things that follow on. And 
that's probably like one spoiler spoiler I don't want to reveal, but with one of those three remembrancers, one of them becomes like a significant person in the Imperium at the end of a Crimson King, and it's definitely worth a listen. Uh, same goes for Scars and Path of Heaven. Those two books, although they're White Scars novels, follow on from the Thousand Suns journey and uh, help conclude it uh, as well. It's worth pointing out uh, the characters within it as well as ties to the... Uh, well, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything as well, yeah. but go read those books. They're pretty great as well. They're probably my favourite later heresy novels, uh, Path of Heaven especially. Yeah, and... Uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Mac, but didn't um, like not only did the the space wolf get base the space wolves absolutely almost get utterly annihilated from the battle alone, but uh, didn't the Alpha Legion fuck them up as they were on like a fleet back to Terra or wherever they were going to like re refit and rearm? Yes. So after the battle, the space wolves are licking their yeah. wounds and they get jumped in the Alexis Nebula by the Alpha Legion. And that's when Liman Russ is like reluctantly, I need to call someone for help. Hey, Jagadai, uh, I hear you're kind of <laughs> nearby. And Jagadai's like, what the fuck are you talking to me? Like, you don't even like me. And you're only calling me for help because I'm your last resort. And I heard you fucked up Prospero. Uh, yeah, no, I'd rather not help you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's, yeah. That leads Jagadai to go and figure out what the fuck is going on because he's getting petitioned by both sides. Um, they're sort of playing for the last chess piece on the board. They're like, oh, you know, White Scars, come over to the traders. You know, we've got beer and pornography. And the loyalists <laughs> are like, no, no, come to us. We have blackjack and hookers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and Lehman Russ being Lehman Russ and Jagadai knowing how much, like, it, it was too easy for Jagadai to believe the traders' point of view, which is that. Um, Lumen Russ just decided to offer Magnus on a fucking whim. Um, he's like, yeah, no, that is something Russ would do. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny. It's funny how like, and this is going into more of Jagged Eye, but like, basically, uh, I don't know what book it's from, but the the conversation between Mortarian and Jagged Eye to like convince him to be like to come to the traitor side. In Jagged Eye's scars. Yeah, Jagadai's like, dude, fuck off. You guys fucked over Magnus. You you convinced fucking Lehman Russ to work for you and try and fuck up Magnus. Like, how could you possibly be good? Like, you, you try to, like, harm our brother. And it's like, fuck you, dude. I'm about to, like, get on my fucking awesome bikes and then just, like, roam around and pillage so you can go fuck off. It's pretty dope. Yeah. Those White Scars books are really good, and they do revisit the character of, like, Magnus, Loyal Magnus, um, Prospero, the aftermath of the battle, of course. Um, so they are actually intrinsically tied to the story of the Thousand Sons. Yeah. Despite uh, being White Scars books. Yeah, but in, like, in the, in the actual summary, like, if you... Not only if you're a Thousand Sons player, but if you, if you read A Crimson King and you read A Thousand Sons... Um, did Mag like getting back to that mean Magnus did nothing wrong in the grand scheme of things in the logic that was going through his mind you believe that he did nothing wrong like he in his in his heart his intentions were always pure 
he never had a part of him that was working for the chaos guys that were even though he was working for them like he made his deal with the devil but his intentions were always pure unlike Corferon, unlike Erebus, unlike Lorgar, where that they were like they knowingly knew what they were getting into. They they accepted that these chaos gods existed, that they were going to use them, they were going to work with them. Magnus never knew that. And it's probably one of his like marks of shame after the Battle of Prospero and as he had to side with the traitors and even into 40k demon demon magnus is he's ashamed that he never knew that the chaos gods existed he he spent all this time in the warp and 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 using all these powers and 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 seeing all these entities and he never knew about the ruinous powers and it's a basically a mark of shame on him because he's he, he basically feels like an idiot because of his hubris like tying back down to his hubris is like, he thought he knew everything, and he didn't. Um, and it's funny because it's just like, he in the end, he didn't do anything wrong, and you have these four chaos gods who've been there the entire time, and Magnus did all this practice in the warp and, and all this stuff, and he was just like, that, I, yeah, didn't know anything about it. I'm an idiot. And basically sulks to himself in, in 40K. It's like that meme I sent you guys before. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's got a Magnus is tied up to a heresy lie detector, and this person's asking questions. He goes, The Council of Nikea mandates the elimination of every Legion's librarian's department and commands their warriors to never again employ any psychic powers. But you become aware of a threat to the Imperium of heretofore unimaginable scale by way of corruption of your brother Horace. What course of action do you take? And Magnus replies, as a Primarch, I am not a member of the Librarius, and I am not subject to that ruling. So long as none of my sons participate, I would use any means available to safeguard Horus against corruption, or, failing that, send a warning to the Emperor. And the uh, heresy detector machine's like, Emperor be damned, I can't actually find anything wrong with that argument. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, and that's, that, that's, that sums it up nicely. Yeah, I would say, I would say is like, even if you are... Even if, like, let's say you are staunchly about, no, dude, listen here, Vince, you're fucked up, man. Uh, Maka, you're fucked up, too. Like, Magnus did do something wrong, uh, and this is why. I would venture to say, I would one, I would like to hear your argument. Two, I would like to know if you actually uh, read A Thousand Sons or Crimson King. And, and Because I find it hard to believe that if you, if you read A Thousand Sons, how you can be still believe that Magnus did do something wrong. And by and when I say when I like Magnus did do something wrong, I mean like his intentions. Like yes, I can ab I absolutely 100% agree with you like by him traveling through the warp and busting down the the webway that the emperor worked on, yes, he did do something wrong. Like there's no there's no disagreement there. Um but like it, but like just by intention wise like the dude never had it in him to, to side with Horus and and use his abilities and his legion against the Emperor. And thus, that's why I believe, ultimately, Magnus never did anything wrong. He, he just, by fate, he is now forced to do whatever it is he needs to do. And ultimately, all his actions, even after uh, Prospero, 
into the heresy, into the into 40k Magnus is he's doing everything for his his, his legion. He's never doing it for any sort of chaos god or or fucking Abaddon or Horus or anything. Like he, he his whole whole purpose and motivation is how am I going to save my legion? How am I going to bring them back? And even that's why Airman gets outcasted from the Thousand Sons. He's Magnus is like you're you're done. You go figure out how to fix this, and then I'll let you back in the Legion. And even Araman is his sole purpose in 40k is to figure out how to fit, how to bring back the Legion. So that's that's the weird thing in Eighth Edition 40k with the whole Magnus um, coming back into reality and his vengeance on the Space Wolves. That sort. Of, Magnus doesn't think that way. It's um, a classic case of GW just being GW and just ignoring the law to do whatever they feel like which you know that's fine whatever but um you know as far as he sees things he doesn't want to do anything because he feels that any action he takes is is manipulated by zench yeah therefore if he takes no actions there's no way zench can use him uh and the space wolves he doesn't really hold a grudge against them as such because again he felt he had it coming but he does hate the fact that they killed so many of his sons but he just wants to reclaim what was lost at this point as opposed to taking vengeance on the space wolves so yeah. it's, it's very weird when they try and turn him into an antagonist in 40k because that's not his style at all yeah it, he, it, he actually is just happy to sit in the fucking tower that that's literally exactly, all he does is just sit in a wizard tower that's exactly what he does and this is uh this is uh this is brought up in bringing back uh if you listen it, or if you read the book Aurelian, where it talks about Lorgar's travels through the warp, um, while he's traveling through the warp, Lorgar ends up going into the future and seeing the aftermath of what the heresy is and, or, or, and what the heresy was was about. And he ends up being on the um, whatever that fucking planet's called afterwards, the Sorcerer's Planet or whatever, some bullshit. Uh, and he's literally in a tower next to Magnus, and Magnus is like, oh, hey, Lorgar, what's up? And future Magnus knows he's talking to past Lorgar, and it's crazy because past Lorgar is like, wait, you know who I am? You can see me right now? And he's like, yeah, dude, like, this is what you're doing right now happened hundreds of years ago, and you're just now catching up and seeing me and uh yeah i'm just sitting here in this tower i'm not gonna do anything man uh you'll find out exactly what happens to me i like and, and what happens to prospero and then the rest of that book takes off and his travels through the warp but it's funny how they bring that up in that book and and how magnus is exactly like Macca said like he he he's not going to take any action he doesn't want to cause any more damage to his legion than that's already been done the um, uh, Scott, you're a Warhammer Fantasy person. Do you know yes, what sir. this book is? Oh wow, yeah, Luber Chaotica. So like the kind of more in-depth breakdown of your different. This this is the Luber Chaotica. So uh, do bear with me. There is a purpose to this sidetrack. So this Liber Chaotica is uh, my original one from, fuck, 15 years ago, maybe more. And uh, it's the Liber Chaotica Zench. 
And the whole thing behind these is they're actually meant to be an in-universe book written in Warhammer Fantasy by a uh, guy who goes crazy from writing the book. And in the actual book, unlike all the other Liber Chaoticas, uh, which take they all take place in the fantasy realm, the guy has a spirit journey in the warp, and this is what he sees. Yeah, that guy looks uh, looks a little familiar. But he's holding up, folks. These are uh, these are like Warhammer fantasy drawings of Thousand Sun Marines and Chaos Marines in general. Uh, they actually meet Magnus the Red, and describe how uh, he's the Eternal Watchdog, uh, the Sorcerer King. Uh, he only has one eye, and demonic face. And when they meet him, he's guarded by a thousand crimson armored soldiers. And then with a laugh and a flick of his fingers, flicks this guy back into reality. So just an interesting thing that ties the yeah. realm of 40K yeah. and fantasy together, of course. Get those every dead. once in a while. That one sounds like it's a little better done than the ones we were subjected to in, uh, in time. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, where does the end times play into it now, you have to ask, because, I mean, uh, te te technically, Magnus is in Warhammer Fantasy, and the Thousand Suns are. Yeah. That's, which is just a very weird, random thing. <laughs> Upsetting, kind of, unresolved. The, the original Marines before Sig Marines. But yeah, uh, so the Thousand Suns, uh, as a legion, very cool. Uh, Tabletop-wise, they have some pretty cool rules as well. Yeah, let's let's push into that a little bit and talk kind of, you know, their legion-specific rules and some special units. Uh, they actually have very few legion-specific rules. Like, they have the usual legion as a studies, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but where they come into their own is the cult. So rather than just being boosted by nature of their legion traits like others are, like, say, uh, Iron Hands, all shooting towards models of the Legionnaires Astartes, Iron Hands get minus one strength. Right. Right. The Thousand Suns instead have Covenant of Sorcerers, which is their character at the highest uh, leadership and psychic mastery level must be the commander of the force. So, you know, usually someone who's leadership 10, We'll get that job. Uh, they also have access to certain psychic disciplines, and all the independent characters can purchase a psychic mastery level of one for plus 20 points and may exchange a power weapon with which they have been equipped for a force weapon for plus five points. So really basic stuff. But the cults themselves means that every unit in your army that has a Legion is a Stardis Thousand Suns rule can take a cult. Uh... Some are better than others. Uh, pretty much the best ones are Precognitive Strike, which comes from the Corvidae, which gives you re-rolling to hit rolls for one when making shooting attacks if you remain stationary that turn. Fantastic right. on Devastator squads. Right. Uh, and a lot simpler than that new console that just master crafts things where you've got to roll like each weapon individually. Yeah. No, this, this one really pays off on something like Laz Cannons. Where yeah. you really want all those shots to hit. Something a little uh, bit yeah. yeah, if you pair that with a, say, a um, Master of Signals, you take him up to Ballistic Skill 5, then all of a sudden you're re-rolling every missed shot. Uh, Laz Cannons become fucking pinpoint accurate. Um, they yeah. all become like fucking Mark Wahlberg shooters. 
Yeah. <laughs> I just can't, just can't fucking miss, man. Running, not running, doesn't matter. <laughs> That's it. Uh, the other good one is from the Telekinesis or Raptora cult, and that's the Kind Shields, which give you plus one invulnerable save, uh, or a six plus invulnerable save if you don't have one, uh, to a maximum of three plus. This is, of course, huge because Terminators uh, and Breaches paired with this ability, uh, even just combat shields on like Command Squad. A Command Squad can have four plus invulnerable saves just from having combat shields. That's uh, that's pretty yeah. good, dude. That is um, really good, and I like zone. how that rule takes a unit like that. That you know, if you have breachers or something that aren't conventionally, you know, conventionally maybe they need some help, and modifies them in a way that makes it playable. That's it. Um, breaches becoming four plus invulnerables in melee and five plus invulnerables against shooting, yeah, especially in zone mortalis. So so much tougher. Uh, pair that with something like an apothecary again a lot stronger uh, yeah. and if that apothecary also happens to be a psyker well you know when in rome yeah um the other abilities are not so good quick blood uh, plus one to run and sweeping advance is useless mental fortitude gives you fear and adamantium will is useless because okay you might be able to deny slightly better uh, considering you're probably going to be the main psychers in any game ever, right. denying the witch isn't really important to you because you're probably going to have three psychers. The other guy's going to have like one. Yeah, it's going to be lucky. tough for them to interact with you very much in that phase. Exactly, they never get anything off. Um, well, and... I tell you, tell you this: uh, what's really good about that um, specific ability when it comes to picking your colts is when you uh, you select your um, your vets to have a cult ability and you give them that because your vets can become mastery level two and or mastery level one mastery level one yes yeah it's mastery level one um, when you uh, when you when you select them to be brotherhood of psychers mastery level one and you give them that specific cult then you can basically deny uh, in addition because they are a psyker and then they also have adamantium will so there but is a only, benefit. that's only going to be powers though that are targeted against them yes have the adamantium will which is not great and considering if you've got vets you probably have a character with them or if you have a character in play it's just better to use the character because they're going to have a higher mastery level uh some like araman for example or not araman but a level two or three psycho like a praetor with adamantium will, yeah, he'll deny on like a three plus if it's a t spell targeted against him. The problem is, is there's not many spells that are any good that'll be targeted against you. Um, thinking of armies that use psychers a lot, something like word bearers, are mostly using it to summon demons, uh, and adamantium will just isn't going to come in handy for that. Um, and the last one, of course, of the cults is the Ashen Blow, which comes from the Pyre. You gain the Hammer of Wrath special rule, and if you already have it, then you get an extra Hammer of Wrath when you charge. Yeah, It's a bit meh. Now, the original rules of the Thousand Suns, uh, with their signs and portents, was that if you suffered a wound from Perils of the Warp, um, then every unit had to take a pinning test with the Legionnaires Astartes Thousand Suns special rule, which is pretty rough. And yeah. If you actually lose all your characters, 
then all surviving units in the detachment are minus one leadership for the entire game and can no longer make any sweeping advances. Yep. But when Forge Ward FAQ'd it, originally you could cast your powers on a three plus. Oh, that's that's pretty good, you know? Yep. Then they FAQ'd it, you now cast on a four plus. But all these negatives for fucking it up are still there. Yep. So you are now the worst psychers in the heresy because nobody else has these penalties. And if you go up against something like the word bearers using the right of war where every doubles becomes a perils, suddenly being a thousand suns player is crippling because your psychic powers are useless because you will not want to cast any of them. Um, so it was a massive mistake on Forge World's behalf there. Uh, they should have kept the three plus casting or got rid of the penalty for failing. But keeping the penalty for failing and making them worse at casting has made them worse psychers than other legions overall. And in fact, I'd venture to say that Wordbearers are probably the best psychers in the Heresy currently due to that. Yep. Now, uh, that's not to say you can't be strong psychers still, um, but the psychic phase is inherently problematic in general, which I've discussed yeah. to death before. Yeah, I... I um... Obviously, I have my my disagreements with it and how they treated the Thousand Sons post fact. Uh, I, I I do think it was a, a a gut reaction to be like, whoa, oh fuck, uh, like listen, boys, I think we fucked up with it, the book Seven Inferno. I think we made basically every unit in there a little bit too powerful. Um, we should probably just scale this back. But typical Forge World fact. Uh, uh, fashion it's like uh instead of like scaling it back and really looking at it you they went too like, hard you yeah, went yeah too they, hard. they went too hard um uh i i i i like what they did with the fact i don't believe they should have gotten rid of the three plus rule i think the three plus rule was appropriate because the way i look at it is every every legion has a specific thing about them that they're good at um like for instance like uh, uh, we just talked about the death guard they have a four up feel no pain against poison poison weapons um it, it for them to cast on threes that's appropriate uh i i absolutely believe like that is absolutely 100 percent appropriate it, they they are they train in the psychic abilities as well as their martial abilities and they should be better than everybody else when when manifesting these powers especially even when you in include the Council of Nikea, when everybody agreed that they weren't going to use librarians or, or psychers anymore. But the Thousand Stuns still dealt with this knowledge-based uh, trait of practicing the warp and using it to their advantage. And even so, like even when we t like I talked about in, a thousand, in, a, in the book of Thousand Suns is they, all these cults are together in like one infantry squad. And they all help each other out. So I'm, I'm like, even though I'm cool with like, e like you get one cult ability per unit, and you don't get that cool little niche thing that they have in a thousand suns, where like every marine in one squad has a specific cult and a, and and can help each other out. But they should still at least just be able to have that three that three plus when casting. It it's just it should be their thing, if anything. Um, and and none of these. Uh, like if you think about it, if you're if you're that min max center like list synergy guy that's going after like win at all costs when it comes to playing the thousand suns, yeah, obviously you're gonna 
you're going to either you're going to go for that kind shields and apply it to and you're going to just bring units that have invulnerable saves just to help out their invulnerable saves but the rest of these like they're no offense but they're shit they're they're only at a case by case instance like what like a unit adds plus 1 to its run and sweeping advanced distances i like i play i play pavani a lot and use quick blood and that that quick blood uh effect doesn't very rarely comes in play um especially once we get into the special units like i absolutely love the kenatai warblades especially with their special rule mind song of blades which we'll get into but they never it never takes an effect and you know why because everybody knows how dangerous a full 10-man squad of kenatai blades is with the mind song of blade special rule and by the time you actually get into combat with these with these kenatai blades you don't get any sort of benefit from the Mind Song of Blades, let alone are you even effective in close combat. <laughs> all, so they, all three guys that make it there. Yeah, ex- exactly. We're, we're like, because it's just, other than Kind Shields, none of these cult abilities actually are detrimental to a game. Like precognitive, like precognitive Strike. I'm like... Most of the time, if I'm picking a Colt Arcana ability for just basic tactical dudes, it's going to be that one because they get to reroll hits of one when they make their shooting attacks to their main stationary. But what tactical squads are remaining stationary? E- e- like it's... even it, it, like you, like your tactical squads, you're going to put them in a rhino, and even and you're going to move them to their objective, and then they're going to they're going to stay there at their objective. But most likely, you're just going to keep them in that rhino until they're forced to be destroyed out of it. You know what I mean? So it's like that ability alone doesn't really doesn't really help out. Even like it's just the, these whole abilities they don't really they they don't really kick in. The only one that everybody bitches and gripes and moans about is kind shields because like you either get a six up or you get a plus one to your inroll. And and people exploit the best one. And it doesn't help that the psychic disciplines, uh, the ones that are good, like telekinesis is not a bad discipline as far as psychic powers go. And kind shields are great. So paired up, they are pretty good. Whereas something like pyrate, pyromancy is a terrible psychic oh, yeah. tape. It's fucking woeful. And then combined with plus one hammer of wrath hit, it's like, wow, oh fuck. No, you've sold me on this one, Forge World. Yeah, and like I'm the sort of guy who will take these cults mixed throughout his army rather than just min maxing. But I'm doing yeah. that for thematic reasons, not because it's the best choice for me. And it has often led to me losing games because of shitty things like I'm in a combat. If I had a three plus invulnerable on that character, he would survive it. But I don't have a three plus invulnerable because I picked another cult, um, yep. and it might be something like I've gone for biomancy. And he has plus one to run and sweep advance. Well, that doesn't help him right now. And it's not helped by the fact that because your psychic powers are random, you may say, oh, Biomancy is really strong discipline. If you get Iron Arm and Warp Speed, you're getting like plus three fucking strength, plus three toughness, plus three attacks, plus three initiative. But what if you don't? What if they're not the powers you get and you get something like Hemorrhage or Leech Life? Yeah. (laughs) And... And then what happens if you go to cast it and you roll a fucking perils and your character just fucking pops yep. in turn one uh, because you cheaped out and you didn't buy him Arcane Litanies, which is your one get-out-of-perils-free card. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and I'm, I'm on the same boat as you. Like, whenever I play with My Thousand Sons, I, I keep it thematic. So, I like, if uh, any time I play Magnus, I'm going to have a 10-man segment squad that are, that are bubble. Like, I make that Death Star. But, I like, even now with the fact where, like, it, before the fact came out, you could do telekinesis and well, what was the other one? It was either telekinesis or uh, pyromancy, I believe. Yeah, you could choose, right? So, yeah. So, what I used to do is I used to whoever was around Magnus, they would get telekinesis because their sole purpose there is to be his bodyguard. They're like his personal bodyguard, so they're they're going to be the ones that have the kind shields. But then I would have like a I would have like a five man segment squad of pyromancy dudes with chain fists and power fists because like it with the thousand sons if you are part of the pirate cult you are like the dudes that like love to wage war like you even though you do have your psychic abilities you love the martial ability of a space marine rather than a psychic ability dude but the pirate cult allows you to bring those psychic abilities into conducting war so I would do stuff like that, but like like Maca said, like pyromancy is a shit group of spells. Like it's 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 absolutely garbage. And what people were using, honestly, what people were using pyromancy for is the fact that it was the 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 number one uh, psychic group that had the most novas. So they were putting Magnus with Mindwrath and pyromancy, and they were doing all these D novas, which were absolutely fucking ridiculous. Well, although they were terrible AP, it's worth. Yeah, 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 terrible, terrible. They were like, I think like the best was AP four. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, they were D attacks, but at the same time, you could just like power armor save them. Yeah, exactly. But um, the fact, the, the fact that like you had a, you had a ignore line of sight, ignore cover, uh, double the range, uh, D Nova that could attack flyers, pretty fucking ridiculous, but. At the same time, like, I never did that. I, I, I honestly, I, I never used Magnus in, with the Pyromancy and tried to get off the, the D-Nova. I, I did, from the very beginning of Magnus and his ability, I, I did look at it and I was like, oh, this dude would be perfect for Biomancy. And so that's what I did. I always ran, I always ran Magnus with Biomancy because even if you wanted to try and get, like, the D-Shots off, you would use uh, you would use smite and life leech, right? Life leech was the other one that could shoot off. Uh, it was it's assault assault four AP something AP two or something like that. One of them one of them's four shots. One of them's two uh, shots. Smite smites the four shot one. Life yeah. leech is just like if you cause the wound, then you get one back, but you can't get above your normal starting wounds. And the problem yeah, exactly. with that, of course, is that you're always casting it on like one wound and two wound models. And usually, if they're losing a wound, they've already been butt fucked by something like a power fist, and they've just yeah. ceased. Chronic existence shortage has happened when they get hit with that power fist, so <laughs> that life leech does nothing. Exactly. Um, I think I think people have a terrible. Um, sorry if I cut you off. By no, the way, no, right. um, we are recording this across the world, so there is a delay between what we say. Um, <laughs> if. Um, People always look at the worst case scenario, and that's what Forge will do when they nerf the shit out of the Thousand Suns. Uh, and they brought in like all this Sci Arcana bullshit in Book Eight, which I fundamentally disagree with because it's designed to dumb down the power level of units like Araman, 
Magnus, Amon, these stronger psychers, uh, Lorgar transfigured. They forget the majority of psychers you're going to see in games are mastery ones who do nothing in the game anyway. Like, I've never, ever, in or all the games of Heresy I've played... All, you know, yeah. almost never get taken at all. Oh, there was a guy at a comp, at a, not a comp, a event, just a couple of weeks back, took two in his list. And you know what he said to me at the end of the day? These did nothing all game. In yeah. every game of the games I played. Two scoops of fucking nothing. Two bro. level yeah. two librarians he took. He was not running Thousand Suns. He just took two level two librarians in another legion. He's like, they did nothing. And I've never had a game where it hinged on that mastery level two librarian. Never. It's always come down to something like a tooled up Praetor just ass kicking his way through a terminating unit or something. It's yeah. never been a fucking librarian who's like, oh, I cast Smite on you. <laughs> it, it just... No, it doesn't fucking work. And it's it's a real bummer because it's like the Moritat nerf that they did years back where suddenly now they sort of understand they went too far. But it's like nobody took Moritats for like five years because they got nerfed so hard into the ground. People are like, oh, no way am I taking that fucking thing. Well, it's the same with Psychers. People are like, oh, yeah, so I get like a one in you know five chance of getting the power I want. Or I've got to pick from Pooh. And some of these abilities, like Precognitive Strike, I, I mentioned how it was great on, like, Laz Cannon devs. You will never take it on Terminators. Because Terminators are armed with combi weapons. Yep. So it's like, oh, they re-roll all to hits. So what's the point of that? Or if it's, like, a fucking uh, Heavy Flamer on them, you're like, oh, well, it's a Heavy Flamer. I don't care. Like, it doesn't come in handy. And if you're trying to close the range, which a unit like Terminator is designed to do, well, they're going to move. And if they move, they don't get the ability. Um, and there's a lot of that here where you just, you'll never see a situation where you're like, oh, yeah, I, I definitely see an advantage to multiple Hammer of Wraths at AP nil. Yeah, that, that's that's something I need more of in my life as opposed to the three up invulnerable saves on my Terminators. Yeah. Uh, which is a real shame because. Uh, we, I think we both encourage diversity in the force and trying to be thematic and having a mixture of cults, but it's really hard to justify it sometimes because you're fighting with one arm behind your back here because your legion buffs that you get on your army come from these cults. And it's like, imagine being an Iron Hands player or a Salamander player is probably a better example. And you can either have the better flamers or you can have the better resistance to damage from flamer and melters. It's like, you can only pick one. What are you going to yeah. pick? You're gonna, you know? Um, well, with the Thousand Suns, it's the same deal. You can either pick something that's really good or something that's going to have no benefit at all to you. And most people are going to just take what actually gives them an edge because otherwise they're basically fighting with a Legion which has no abilities at all. Yep. Um, which is you know, the sort of best way of describing it is imagine you, you just took the stock units out of the book with no traits, and that's basically playing Thousand Sons with a shit cult. Yep. It, it's, it's just... I mean, Scotty, what's your experience with playing with thousand, against Thousand Sons? Uh, you're silent on us, Scotty. Sorry, very professional of me, leaving you on mute there. So... Um, this was back in 2015 when they first came out. I played against Stefan at uh, Depticon, I think. And my experience then was he took a lot of units that aren't 
kind of like I was talking about earlier, aren't obviously very powerful and then made them powerful by placing, you know, certain spells in strategic spots. So it was a lot of fun to play against. Like he didn't take the obvious answer of like Sekhmet with all kinds of crazy ass biomancy and making them all endurance and all, you know, he, he used it in a very tactful way. And by tactful, I don't mean like, tactical i mean you know in an almost polite way but a very creative way as well and they like units of breachers and assault squads were two of the things that i remember they got noticeably better this is before uh drop salt vanguard and all that so assault squads were super out in the wind shitty and you know through having buffs like you know a nimble save you know becoming tougher having a better feel no pain those units became useful and i i really enjoyed it but as far as the latest iteration of what thousand suns are now i haven't really played against them so i'm not a great you know measuring stick for it <laughs> could i'll bring up a sore point before we move on to better things and that is the force weapons the thousand suns have the a unique Kopesh weapons. Out of all the legions, they've got probably the most recognizable legion weapon. Right. That curved Egyptian sword. Yep. No no stats. No stats at all. And a lot Nothing. of the characters have access to force weapons. Our options are a force maul, force sword, or a force axe. Meanwhile, you've got blood angels with like the blade of perdition or white scars with the glaive, uh, the old trains of the legatine axes. Even just a Paragon Blade with the fact that it's got those murderous strikes on sixes to wound, all of these are better options than the Force Weapon. Uh, and that was probably one of the biggest missed opportunities was giving the Thousand Suns a versatile Force Weapon because I honestly don't see Thousand Suns players doing it. Um, they're just not taking them. They're not taking the Force Weapons because they just can't get them to work because it's like you're fighting with a Praetor versus an enemy Praetor and he's got a Paragon Blade and you're like, oh, I'm going to hit you with my Force Axe after you murder the shit out of me. It doesn't yep. work. Um, or he's using like a Thunder Hammer and you're going to go at the same time, but he gets any fucking wounds through and you're done and he's going to hit you on the same amount. He's going to wound you on fucking twos. Meanwhile, you're like fishing for best case threes. Yep. And that's even if you had the dice to activate in the forethought to activate your force weapon in the first place. If you're getting charged in their fucking turn, chances were you didn't anticipate a turn ago that you're going to need that force weapon. So they're just functionally useless. It's it's an ability that needs to be triggered in a combat as opposed to in a psychic phase. Yep. Like, it, it, the force should just be always on or something. Yep. The rules are just piss poor in that regard. And yeah. so that is flavor, I think, being taken away from the army. Because, again, you're hamstringing yourself by taking the Force Weapon. I'm like, if I, if I have a Forge Lord, for example, Forge Lords are one of the toughest, best challenges in the game, a Master of the Forge. Uh, because you're like, oh, I can put a fucking Cyber Familiar on him, or if I'm Thousand Suns, I can put Raptor Occult on him and give him plus one invul. And you're talking a guy who's, you know, like a three-plus invulnerable save with a Thunder Hammer, with a fucking Servo Arm. Like, they're just an awesome challenger. Or I can cripple him by giving him a force weapon. Yes. <laughs> or it's, I could make him totally useless. Yeah, and then, then and then it's just then it just comes down to am I using a sword so I can actually strike an initiative? Well, that's not very good. Or am I using an axe? And it's like the only time a force weapon comes in handy is if you're fighting something like a big automata, 
well, they're all like fucking toughness seven, so you're still winning them on like sixes with the fucking yeah. four sacks. So it's functionally useless to you. Um, and if it's something like a Thanatar, then I guess maybe a force maul or a force axe, again, fishing for sixes, but you can't even hurt them with a force sword. So, uh, again, the, the weapon is not in a good place. They should have given them maybe an AP2, an initiative weapon, or maybe the weapons always have the force rule on. Just just something. Yeah, just something. absolutely. Uh, I 100% agree. That was, like, my biggest gripes is... Uh, when it came to force weapons, one, force should always be turned on for Thousand Sons, and two, when you make your veteran tactical squads uh, have a mastery level, they don't have access to force weapons, which is fucking stupid. Like, if they're a brotherhood of psychers, why are they not treated like the Kenatai Warblades where they, ha- where they have access to force weapons? It, well, well, on the veterans, instead of having access to their other special rules the ability to take a mastery level should have been an option alongside their other special rules. Instead of Weapon Master Vets, you could take Psychic Vets, and in which case they get Force Weapons as an option. Yep. Um, would have been great. Uh, if I can use an example of a unit we haven't touched on yet, I know I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but the Kenatai Blader Cult, they're a mastery level one unit. Okay, they're all armed with Force Weapons, but they're mastery one. Are you going to use their, uh, their Force ability? Or are you going to use an actual decent ability on the squad? And I think nine times out of ten, it's Biomancy, and you're going for, like, that Iron Armor Warp Speed. Um, Which, yes, I have pulled off the charge with ten Kenatai with Warp Speed before with a Chapwin, and yes, it was glorious. Yep. Uh, But that was in Zone Mortalis, and the only reason I got it off was it was, like, one unit left on the other guy's (laughs) army, and they fucking ran to the corner, and he just had no response to them when they ran to the corner. A totally fucking implausible situation in a regular battle. Um, and so I just want to quickly get into them because they're probably my favourite Thousand Sun Specialist unit. Uh, the Kenatai Blader Cult, uh, essentially veteran marines. They've only got one attack base, but they have weapon skill five. They come with two force weapons, however, and their main gimmick is the Mind Song of Blades, which is the yep. more of them you have in a unit, the better they get. If it's three or less, then they get plus one attack. If it's... Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, if they are four to eight models, they get plus one attack and plus one weapon skill. And if they get to nine to ten models, then they get plus two attacks, plus one weapon skill. So you're talking four attacks each, five attacks on the charge, at weapon skill six. But as you pointed out earlier, you, good luck. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Good luck getting 10 of them into combat. And if you're paying for 10 of these motherfuckers, it is fucking expensive. It is really expensive. Because you're talking, they're base 185 points, and then it's 25 points per mile. Like the to... options for them. Is there like a, can you put them in like a Dreadclaw or something like that? You can put them in a Rhino, a Land Raider Phobos, a Land Raider Proteus. That's it. You can't put them in an ambulance. Nope. You could if you well, bought it as a fast as attack. A fast attack. Yeah, just as fast attack. That'd be the way to do it, probably. That's but the problem I, is, is the, the fully costed units around the 400 point mark. Yeah. Uh, if, if not more, actually. Uh, the unit is cheaper for the, like, the first five than the second five, I think. Uh, but they're all armed with four swords, very specifically, which means the minute they bump into something like Terminators, 
they may throw like a million fucking attacks at them. <laughs> they can't hurt them. The Terminators yeah. are just like, oh, two up, two up, two up, two up. And they do have Brotherhood of Psychers, but for an elite unit to only have a mastery of one, when your regular veteran squads can get mastery of one or segment of mastery two, it's rough because you get one fucking chance, one chance to get the power you want on the psychic table. And it is rough. You get something like Leech Life. Every model has one fucking wound. How does Leech Life work? Forge World? Fucking the sound of crickets chirping and fucking uh, tumbleweed rolling through because they don't have an answer. Part of the type when you're swimming around in a big ass fucking Scrooge McDuck pool of gold coins or something. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're cool as shit as a unit, and I have run 10 of them many times, but when you're throwing like 400 points at a unit of essentially power sword armed marines with a higher and a higher weapon skill and yeah a bunch of attacks it's just so not worth it i mean they're only uh, they're only three plus saves proxy like, these bad boys as weapon master vets or something like that yeah it's, it'll be cheaper and yes. just as effective yep um, um it's a real shame cool models though they are very very cool models um Cool as shit. <laughs> I fucking love how they look, uh, especially especially. I don't like the way Forge World put them on Mark IV armor. I like them on my Mark II. Uh, Mark II, I think, looks much cooler. I bought like the uh, I bought the Mark II uh, Destroyer set, and then I put the Kenatai upgrade on the Mark II uh, body, and it, it looks fucking cool. Um, I, I use their parts a lot for like commanders in the army because exactly. uh, the chest plates, the force swords, like because yeah. they never released Thousand Suns upgrade kits for like force weapons and shit. Yeah, the one the the force blades you get on them are perfect, and it's like you compare these to something like Angel's Tears, and <laughs> just the saltiest fucking tears come streaming from my eyes. You know, I'm like the Native American when he sees like the rubbish dropped on the ground. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like. But that one, that one fucking tear, and I just like slowly turn to the camera. It's um, yeah, it's it's shame because they they are cool as shit. But do you want to pay twenty five points for a three up armor save uh, and a better weapon skill for a power sword wielding marine? Probably not. Um, it's a real shame because, as I said, they're they're fucking cool models. And if there's one thing I can never fault Forge World on, it's that all the Thousand Suns models they did are. Fucking sweet. Yeah, maybe the best, dude. Uh, that fucking Castellax thing, I love the way those guys look. Well, that's that's a good segue. Do we want to talk about the Castellax Achaea? Uh, so the Thousand Suns have their own version of the Castellax. It's weapon skill three, uh, strength six, toughness seven, four wounds. So pretty much a standard Castellax profile. Yep. Uh, they're 135 points each. Uh, they have rage. They also have It Will Not Die. They're also fearless, uh, but, you know, they're monstrous creatures, so they're fearless anyway. Uh, now, when the book first came out, they had a pair of power cores, which was just an undefined weapon. Yep. There was uh, Forge World later FAQ'd it, and it's one of several units which suffered from the infamous Book 7 um, missing some traits. Uh, or missing some rules uh, syndrome. Uh, but essentially, it's power fists. But because they're a monstrous creature, they strike an initiative with said power fists. So you're looking at... Uh, f- 
it doesn't say that they included in the profile. I think it might say it in the FAQ now, but it's a toss-up between four attacks or five attacks on the charge with them uh, if they are or aren't included in the profile. Um, but their main ability is the fact that they have a psychic control matrix, which means you actually control them with a psyker instead of a cortex controller, which means as long as they're within 24 inches of a psyker, then they just work as normal. Uh, and if they're not within range of a psyker, then they basically just sit on the spot and shoot at enemy units. So they're, they're really reliable units, and they're pretty much always going to be within range of a psyker if you've built your list correctly. Uh, they're tough as shit. They come with a uh, more pattern bolt cannon and two bolt pistols, oh, sorry, uh, bolt guns, but they have the Asphyx ammunition built in, yep. which for people who don't understand Thousand Suns, we have upgrades for our bolted weapons, which give them shred. So they're shredding more pattern bolt cannons and shredding uh, bolt guns. But you could upgrade them from that more pattern bolt cannon to an Ether Flame Cannon. Which, which is, is a 15-point upgrade and is dope as shit. It's a plasma yep. cannon with the terrible, terrible Soul Blaze special rule tacked on, which um, if there's two two or three rules that I just fucking don't get and that Forge World doesn't get and they keep putting on units and thinking it's really cool and upping the price on the unit because they added it, it's Soul Blaze and Fear. <laughs> two rules that it's never fucking work. Record. Don't forget Wrecker. The awesome, yeah. awesome. Yes, that's a, that's up there. But it's like, <laughs> there has the Soul Blade special rule, and you can actually upgrade Plasma Cannons to your army to take it. Uh, what is it, 5 or 10 points? Uh, 10 points to upgrade a Plasma Cannon to get Soul Blaze. No, never, 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 never. Don't do it, guys. But as a weapon itself, 15 points total on a Castellaxacaia, it is devastating. Yeah, because it can walk around and fire it. Yeah, uh, and another cool thing is if you are using something like uh, Smite, Leech Life, uh, any of those Pyromancy abilities, you can actually cast it through the Castellax itself if your Psyche is within 12 inches, which is pretty fluffy. Uh, you're playing Zone Mortalis, for example. You can have the Castellax around the corner, and then the Psyche is sitting behind the wall, casts through the Castellax, the power, which is you know, pretty fluffy, pretty yep. fun, pretty cool. Uh, and they're probably the Thousand Suns. Mm, between them and Sekhmet, which one is the best unit? But they're definitely up there. And yeah. models-wise, they're cool as shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they mentioned these guys, I think, in the book, Thousand Suns, about that Pravian who had a unit of these and they fucking jump out the back of a Stormbird or something, that was, like, one of my favorite mental images of Thousand Suns. Yeah, they are, um, yeah, they're, they're dope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any, anything anyone wants to add to those? No, like, I, I absolutely love using them. I, I usually run either one, two, up to three with the, um, the fucking Darkfire, not Darkfire, the Aether Flame, or, no, it got fact to Aether Fire <laughs> Cannon. So, that was one of the big things about this fact is, they have in the in on in book seven on page two ten it says about aether fire cannon, but there I think the Castellac says you can upgrade to an aether flame cannon. So they had to like 
fact that no, it's all Aether Fire Cannon. So it's funny how like that's all in there. But yeah, I run. I either re- usually run one or three with all the Aether Flame Cannons. But what's really shitty is I bought all of mine at Warhammer Fest when they first released them, and they all came with like only five claws. So like I each has a fist that's missing a claw on them. Typical Forge World quality. Yeah. Uh, nah, it's a low blow, sorry. Uh, <laughs> alright. The Osirion Dreadnought is another cooler shit option. A uh, bit of a weird model. I think it must have been a case of they had a couple of Dreadnought options. They made a Contemptor, and they made another Contemptor, and they went, which one do we go with? Uh, yeah, let's so just, like let's the, just do both. Yeah, in the beginning of, like, releasing all these Heresy models, they came out with a Contemptor, a, a Thousand Suns Contemptor mo- model, which was, like, way before the book or even the rules came out or before any other models came out. And it was it, it, it was cool looking, and it was pretty cool and dope. But then they actually came out with the Asyron model when the book dropped and the Asyron rules. And you get a, you get a Contemptor Dreadnought. Uh, it could be part of any Contemptor Dreadnought talent, a part of the Thousand Suns Attachment, maybe upgraded to a Contemptor Dreadnought. Which is funny. It, which was funny to me because on the page that the Osiron Dreadnought came out, and on the column that's on the right hand of the page, they looked at the skull and they would say, "Oh, is this an HQ unit?" No, you fucking idiot. Like I, when I, when this rule first came out, I never looked at that stupid skull or that stupid column on the right hand <laughs> side and was like, "Oh, this is an HQ unit." No. What fucking Contemptor unit in the main Legion of Stardust Army list is an HQ unit? I, other than running the Ancients of fuck the, the Ancients fucking Rite of War, where you get like a Dreadnought or whatever. It's the fine no, details that you know have plagued, I guess, this army's installment. You know, the little little things like that. I, I always I always took it as it was a HQ option. But in that, like that Dreadnought Rite of War, the Fury of the Ancients, you can't actually take one because you're shoehorning having to take uh, a Delegatus, a Herald, or a Praetor. You must also take a Forge Lord. You must always take a fucking random Primus Medicaid that's no use to your army for no fucking reason. <laughs> and those three characters always end up in their own fucking squad. But it's like you, you have the perfect leader for it, a, a fucking psychic Dreadnought, and you can't fucking take it in that army. Like... Uh, I feel like Aaron. I'm gonna fucking shit and calm and pass out. <laughs> but um, yeah, the model itself. I'm not a fan of the model. I think they overdid it. But I yeah. like the arms. It's like if I could take the arms off that and I put them on the regular Thousand Suns Contemptor, I think that's a better model. Yeah. Than the Assyrian. The Assyrian has like anal beads hanging from his headdress. Yeah, and he does. He has a fucking Necron resurrection orb in his head and some other weird shit going on. I, I honestly, I like the Assyrian model re- re- than the than the regular one. Um, it's pretty cool. I, I think it uh, I think it fits. It helps you distinguish like if you do buy the actual Thousand Suns Contemptor. A siren, uh, uh, the 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 actual contemptor dreadnought, and it dif- differentiates from the siren one. Um, but that is me. But other than that, like this model is a little bit more expensive. Uh, 
not really useful. I, I used it a couple times. I do have two of them. Uh, they're they're a cool model to put on the table if you're if you're going thematic, like you you want to run like a like you, you want to run like a, a part of your thematic army. You got a got a, a psyker that was interned in a dreadnought, and and he wants to still be active and fight alongside, but. Uh, not really worth the points, not really worth the psychic ability. Uh, and in the end of the day, when it comes to his psychic abilities, you're just using him to uh, give you more warp charge. You're not really using his uh, psychic powers. Uh, un like, unless back in the day when you had access to invisibility, then absolutely you would take telepathy and try and roll invisibility on him. Uh, so that way you can try and help out your army. But Ever since they got rid of invisibility, which I'm a fan of, I don't disagree that invisibility was a broke rule. It absolutely was a broke psychic power. Um, but other than that, like you're better off running Castle Axakea than than this Siren Dreadnought. Well, okay, so you're dead right on the invisibility thing. Um, it was a broken power. It's just a shame that's the only modification they made. When there's all those terrible powers, the <laughs> only really overpowered one was the one they got rid of. That was dumb. But the Sirion, I think it comes down to the problem I always point out with Contemptors, which is you can't have a Contemptor with one gun arm or one combat arm. A lot of people do it, but I think that's fundamentally a bad idea. Because if you lose either arm, that entire capability is lost for the unit. Yep. Uh, if it's shooting and you lose the shooting arm, well, you're kind of fucked if you, you know, took abilities that try and buff that. Uh, conversely, if you lose the combat arm, well, you know, then you're now relying on only one ranged weapon to do all the work. It's not a good trade-off when you're paying 200 points, basically, yeah. for this model. Uh, the only way I think that's worth running it, honestly, uh, with the limited loadout of options, is run it with a fucking Siege Wrecker. So it can... 2d6 pen buildings and vehicles and other dreadnoughts uh and the force weapon and just don't even worry about trying to cast like abilities with it apart from force and just if you face mechanicum or something it'll chop down those monstrous creatures fast yep um it'll come into a higher initiative and just fucking decimate them but the downside is if you play mechanicum any mechanicum player worth their salt is just going to target that thing for demolition in turn one yeah, so. uh, I absolutely, and it's funny that uh, we bring up Mechanicum because, like, one of the biggest salty tears that I absolutely uh, have of, of my own personal self is I hate how people shit on Thousand Sons and they're and saying that their psychic ability is too great. This was pre-fac, but no one ever really talked about Cyberthurgy. I absolutely fucking hate how, like, no, man, like, Cyberthurgy, like, the greater ability, the greater chance it is for my robot to go fucking psychic. I have yet to seen, out of all the Mechanicum armies I play, a Cyberthurgy test fail. And I've like, seen it happen once. And that, was a person exactly. who, and that was a person who, for the other five turns of the game, was double-shotting their Thanatars in sequence at me. Exactly. And, you know what, I, I get... It pisses me off that you can't deny it. There's there's no way to fucking deny it. They, like, it just happens. 
Like, I would, and this is going completely off topic, but this is always something that pissed me off because I'm a Thousand Suns player. I honestly think if you have a Master of Signals, it should be able to stop Cyberthurgy. Because you got a guy that's a communication specialist that can that that should be able to hack into some sort of cyber network that he's used to, or a Forge Lord. If you have a Forge Lord, he should be able to hack into that that cyber network that the fucking Mechanicum uses because he's taught by the Mechanicum how to like fucking send like those machines or, or a fucking Pravian. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like like even if it's a limited range ability. Like, you've got to be within 24 inches or something. Like, I, yeah. I'm 100% with you. Like, I look at Cyberthuge and I weep those fucking salty streams. Like, ah, oh, yes, your tears. Ah, yeah. oh, the tears of unfathomable sadness. Like, yeah. when you look at Psyche Powers, it's like, oh, random fucking chance to get abilities. Random fucking abilities. Random chance to even get them off. Chance that the other guy can stop the ability. Chance that it even works in the first place. And then Cyberthuge is like, yeah, you have access to all of it. And it's got fucking awesome range, and you're pretty much never going to fail it, and yep. the consequences aren't even that bad. If you do fail it, uh, fill your boots. And nobody, nobody ever says anything about it. They're just like, yeah, it's, oh, yeah it's, no, man, it's fluffy, it's fluffy. Exactly. Uh, Mechanicum it's Master Race. <laughs> it's funny because fucking Mechanicum Cyberthurgy players are like fucking Space Wolf people. Like, our powers don't come from the warp. This is fucking, you know, this is fucking just, it's just a dude, an arg, a fucking Majos, like, hitting a couple of computer command keyboards and letting a Thanatar shoot twice. Because other than letting a Thanatar shoot fucking twice, what is Mort, a plasma mortar, I have yet to see any other Cyberthurgy ability be used. I've seen things like giving them that, like, attacking twice or double attacks ability on things like Morax and Castellex on the charge. That one's pretty fucking brutal to be on the receiving end of, I assure you. Um, and I know Cat and I played a game once. He blew up his own automata on me just because it was Cat, <laughs> And he was already losing the game, so he just started um, self-destructing his units, which is just funny as shit. Um, and that's really about it. Uh, compared to Psychic Powers... Uh, <laughs> They're so good, and it's like, why couldn't you just rejig that as psychic powers? Or what I initially thought they might do was, instead of each unit having to pick a cult, they would do something like that old Chaos Possess table. Just like roll a D3 or a D6, start of each turn, you just get a random fucking ability. And it's like, you know, oh, you rolled up a Pyro ability for this turn, or you rolled up a fucking Telekinesis ability for this turn, instead of having to pick a cult for a whole unit. Um... But I guess, you know, that would have been too much record-keeping for a big army. So I, I kind of get it. Um, but, yeah, it's it's rough. And then, yeah, the Assyrian Dreadnought, one mastery level. It's, again, a bit of a theme. Like, they love their one mastery level with the Thousand Suns, but one mastery is useless. Yeah. You need two mastery. Two mastery is the minimum for effective psychers. Uh Even on my HQs, if I'm taking on something like a Forge Lord or a Master of Signals... And I take a psychic level. It's basically just to add fucking extra dice for my Praetor, who's going to be running three mastery levels. Uh, I think it's fair to say that it's pretty much how ninety nine percent of Thousand Suns players roll is. Oh yeah, this is a mastery one unit who's never going to cast, <laughs> uh, except in a moment of opportunity. Uh, especially if you get something like you know a warp charge two ability, and you're like, oh, I really don't want to cast a warp charge two ability with my level one 
squad, or you get an ability like uh, like Life Leech, which restores a wound on a multi-wound model but can't take you above the standard ones, and it goes on a one-wound unit. It's um, Ooh. yeah, it's it's yeah, it's poorly thought out. It's rough. Um, but please, people, don't take this as a thousand suns are bad. They're not. It's just you've really got to choose your battles with them. Uh, if you don't take the right combination of psychic abilities, uh, the right mastery levels on the right units, you're going to be in for a bad time. Yep. Um, because you're hamstringing yourself. Yeah. Uh, going on to the next unit, um, one of my favorites that I... I used in the past. I don't really use them as much, but the Amatar Occult Intercessors. Uh, so right off the bat, they're basically... I made the fucking dumb choice of buying Recon Marines from Forge World, uh, and then I didn't. I forgot, yeah. to, I, I forgot to realize that uh, in the war gear itself that we scout armor. So you can go Some ahead and buy... Scions are like a really good uh, possible alternative for models for these guys. I've seen yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so basically, you have a you have it, it's a it's a five man squad of of dudes like Space Marine Scouts. You can buy like a Space Marine Scout box and use these as these dudes. Just put the put them all with sniper rifles. But uh, you have the Amatar Assessor and the Amatar Fate. The Amatar Fate is the the sergeant. They're all ballistic skill five, uh, weapon skill four, and then normal normal uh, values. Um, but they, their war gear comes standard with bolt pistol, sniper rifle, combat blade, flat frag and crack grenades, shroud bombs, which are dope, and then scout armor. They also get Legion of Stardust, uh, Thousand Sunsets rules, stealth, move through cover, infiltrate, scout, and they're also Brotherhood of Psychers level one. But rather than generating a psychic discipline normal, the, the Cabal has access to a single unique power mind killer. And Mind Killer is pretty dope. Mind Killer is a blessing which targets the Psyker unit. While the power is in effect, the unit may reroll all its failed to hit, to wound, and all of its shooting attacks gain the ignore special roll. So you have a uh, you have a five man um, sniper scout sniper unit with shroud bombs for 135 points. In addition, you could put. Um, one of their dedicated transports, believe it or not, is a Storm Eagle. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And then on top of that, you can give them a Nuncio box. So it really helps out that you infiltrate these dudes. And then you have segment that come in on them with the with the Nuncio box. And then they don't scatter. They just land within six inches of them, and it's pretty dope. But the Mind Killer is really awesome because, like, even though it is warp charge two, that is a little bit expensive for that uh, ability. But you are rerolling to wound wounds, and ignores cover with sniper rifles. Like you, you can like literally have infiltrate ten of these dudes on turn one. Uh, use all your psychic abilities to just basic like your warp charges to give it to them to get off that mind killer, and then they're just like targeting a unit and decimating it in the shooting phase and one shooting phase because you have. 10 sniper shots that are going out and you're re-rolling to hit to wound and uh, they all ignore cover. So they are like the perfect like first turn unit to deploy, infiltrate them and then have your segment that are in reserve for turn two and then they just drop in on them without having to worry about like them scattering because they have that nuncio box. 
I mean, how do you feel about it, Mac? Uh, they're a good unit, but two problems. First, in that FAQ where they changed it to you can only take powers that are from your cult, how does that work with a power that's outside of it? They well, haven't really covered off on that. I mean, common sense to us dictates, eh, you just use the power anyway. But rules is written, and someone could argue it if they were that way inclined. You can't cast an ability from that's outside of your cult. And since there's no cult for Mind Killer, uh, and the other thing is with the Mind Killer, it's a mastery level two ability, which means you generate less warp charge than your spell history requires to cast. Well, I always, um, I always treat it as like that that one specific rule in here where it says rather than generating a psychic discipline, normally the cabal has access to a single unique power, mind killer. So regardless of what cult arcana, they can't generate anything other than mind killer. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how um, I played it. Like, cause like I never I never brought these dudes and gave them a cult. Uh, like I would give them a cult arcana ability, but I would never allow them to generate a power from that cult arcana. Like if they were given Corviday or uh, Pavani or something like that, like I would I would never allow them to because like it's like my my thought process was like the Amatar occult intercessions cobble is basically your souped up Legion of Starte scouts. So these are dudes that are initiates into the Legion and they're learning how to take advantage of their psychic abilities as well as uh, learning the martial ability of being a, a Legion of Stardes. And so like they only have access to Mind Killer, which is basically allowing them to reroll hits, wounds, and, and ignores cover. So that's how I always treat it. Yeah, I'm just trying to find the exact wording for it. Um... These FAQs are a fucking mess now. Yeah. It's never it's never in the same place twice because they always move it from my like, community to something else. Uh, yeah, as a unit, I think they're they're okay. Uh, the only cult worth taking on them is divination, for that when yep. you're not casting mind killer, at least you're re-rolling the ones to hit, uh, and you can give them. Uh, for every five models in the squad, you can swap one sniper rifle to a melter gun or a plasma gun. It's all right, but it's not enough. Yeah. If it was the whole squad or the whole squad could take, like, combi weapons, different story. But the one melter gun or the one plasma gun is way too situational to really be of any use, in my opinion. Um, again, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No, I, I think, like, I think it fits. So uh, the whole backstory to the Amatara cult is that they're part of the Order of the Hidden Ones. So their whole thing, uh, so like I said, the Order of the Hidden Ones are your, your spies, your intelligence gatherers, and your assassins. These are literally the Legion's hit squad. Like, it's, it, it's appropriate that they're fast attack because they're supposed, to, they're supposed to get in there, drop, secretly move around, and then just like assassinate whatever target they're assigned. So... I don't see them as they should be like as a tactical support element where they should all have their weapons upgraded to a melta gun or a plasma gun. Um, I see as the melta and plasma gun to be a support element for that assassination squad. Like if they run into if they get dropped in behind enemy lines and they 
are in a situation where they're running into heavy shit. You got the Amatar Fate, who's the sergeant, who's got some melta bombs and his nuncio box to call and support. And then you have that one dude that's like, oh man, how come I don't get to bring my sniper rifle? I want to fucking make some dude's head turn into fucking pink mist. Oh, you got to give me a fucking stupid ass plasma gun where I could die using this shit. So that's the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah, dead on. Um, I did track down the FAQ or errata. Uh, by the way, it's very long for the Thousand Suns. Yeah, uh, weird. Yeah, it's it's they. It's not that they can only cast powers from their cult. It's they may only generate powers from their matching psychic discipline. So yeah, they're in the clear. But yeah, it just occurred to me when I was looking at it. Yeah, uh, they're cool. They're they're not cheap. Uh, 135 points and 20 points of models pretty expensive for essentially recon marines I don't know I compare them to dark uh, to the raven guards ones the no, I was going to say dark furies the more deadian thank you uh, I think the more deadian are probably better but yeah, these absolutely. guys definitely have their place but it, it's pretty cool that we, like, the Thousand Suns get, like, a more Dathan squad, a little bit more expensive. But, like, you can't beat Stealth, Move Through Cover, Infiltrate Scout, and Shroud Bombs. Like, Shroud Bombs are, are fucking awesome. Um, yes. yes. It's just, they're, they're dope. Uh, they basically count as defensive grenades. And um, I f- it's off the top of my head. Oh, shit. They, they have a bunch of benefits. Yeah. Benefits. Oh, Shroud, they're, Shroud they're, bombs are great. If you have the option, take them. Yeah, yeah. They're, um, if I recall correctly, not only are they defensive grenades, so like people lose their, their plus one to your charge, but they also uh, act as blind grenades in the, in the shooting phase. So like if you wanted to, you can throw these bad boys and then they're like at weapon skill initiative one. If I remember correctly, it, it's it. They're just dope. Trust me on this, guys. They're dope. Yeah, good unit. Uh, they're not a standout unit by any means, but I I think they're cool for what yeah. it's worth. Uh, I guess the next one to cover off would be the segment. Oh. Uh, the, the salt met terminators, mouth. the Sekmeta. Uh, call what you will, but the go-to of every Thousand Suns Power Gamer, because they are cheap, they are gorgeous models, they are very brutally effective in the game. Yep. Um, they're Brotherhood level 2 Psychers. They're a standard Terminator stat line, but with two wounds each. They have a choice of Cataphracty or Tartarus Armor. Uh, but it doesn't really matter, because you can take... Uh, telekinesis which is again a really really beneficial uh psychic discipline for them and give them plus one involve so your tartarus are essentially cataphracty and your cataphracty essentially have storm shields built into them with none of the negatives of having a storm shield yep um all their combi bolters come with built-in asphyx shells so all their bolt weapons have shredding uh they all have force weapons now again force weapons are not a great option but on terminators they're better than many other people because at least you have weight of numbers behind you and they can sort of work but oh you have the option of swapping to a lightning core for free or a power fist for five points or a chain fist for 10 points 
which is cheap as shit. Uh, and you can even change all their guns to combi bolters, and they keep the asphyx rounds, and you can give them something like combi plasma. Uh, combi yeah, combi, you, could, you could switch them to combi weapons. So, like, one of my very cool thematic uh, segment terminators is a, is a five-man squad, and it's, it's split between uh, power fists and chain fists, and they're all pyracult and pyromancy themed, and they also have combi meltas. So, like, my whole theme around them is, is, like, they drop in, and whatever fucking vehicles you have, they're there to fucking decimate, whether it's shooting with the combi meltas or just, like, getting in close combat with the power fists and chain fists and, like, destroying them. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, they're, they're a good unit. Uh, in the errata, they have a weird pink option which says under the heading options, amend the second bullet point to instead read exactly what it reads uh, in here. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a single lightning core as opposed to a lightning core. That's that's the big change they got. Uh, and they they know, they originally had to only pick from telekinesis or pyromancy, but the way they wrote it was they choose their ability from which people yep. took as you just get to pick the exact power you want, which is broken uh, compared to other psychic units in the game. I don't think it's necessarily broken being able to pick your powers. In fact, I think it's preferential if you're paying 25 points a unit for every mastery level. Picking your own power should be a fucking given. Yep. Um but on, on the second man, it meant, look, you got two wound terminators, incredibly survival, incredibly versatile. You know what you're getting out of them. You know the powers you're getting. They became a bit of a crutch for the army, much as, say, uh, acid-heavy bolters are for Dark Angels. Yep. Um, you know, people just lean really heavily on it, uh, which is a bit of a shame because they, they are a cool unit and they've got some pretty cool fluff. Um but, yeah, uh, what ended up happening is a lot of people would take these units, pimp them out with all this cool war gear, make them even tougher by taking certain psychic disciplines, and then they'd combine that with the fact that, you know, they'd be in a unit with, like, Magnus, and they'd have, like, fucking three-up involved saves and uh, put a Primus Medicaid in there, and uh, oh, yeah. suddenly suddenly the units would just rock hard as nails. And 35 points each, the thing Forge World should have done in the errata was increase the points. Yep. Not keeping them at 35 points a model. Um, because, like, I fuck, fucking love it. That's, that's completely the most appropriate thing. Because they are, when it comes to their rule set and their stat line, they are the cheapest, most effective Terminators when it comes to effectiveness versus points. They yes. are the best ones in the entire game. Uh they're, they're what other Terminators wish they could be. Exactly. Like, show me... I, I would I would challenge anyone to show me any other Terminators in the game that can, like, compare to the segment Terminator Cobble. Like, effectiveness to point-wise. Uh, and you won't find it. It's... it's These guys are the, the cream of the crop when it comes to it. Um, and I'm actually so, quite so... surprised, like... Forge World in the fact did not increase their points at all and allowed them to have access with a mastery level of two to biomancy. Like, that is dangerous. 
Yes. Absolutely. Like the Kenatai Warblades, they only get one mastery level and you're rolling them on Biomancy. Um, but with these guys, you get mastery level too. And when your chances on a standard D6 are 50% or greater on a 4, 5, or 6, and that 4, 5, or 6 happens to be Endurance and uh, it's either Iron Arm or Warp Speed is, is 5, right? Uh, Iron Arm will give you plus 3 Strength and Toughness. Warp Speed will give you plus 3 Initiative and Attacks. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you have like a 50% chance of getting like basically one of those because you're either rolling a 4, 5, or 6 or a 1, 2, and 3. Um, that's pretty fucking dangerous. Uh, but at the same time... They did curve it a little bit because with the new fact, it says you can't take any psychic discipline that's outside of your cult arcana ability. Um, so you can't obviously take kind shields and then roll on biomancy. So they curved it a little bit. But if I not like, not much, not much. Yeah, I I do have a uh, a ten man squad of these guys in Tartarus that I do roll on biomancy because. You got Tartar. You got a ten-man squad of Tartarus of these dudes. You drop them in around some tacticals or Amatara with uh, a Nencio box, and then you just lock them in close combat with somebody. They're wrecking. They're wrecking through everybody. It's just fucking ridiculous. Especially if you get Iron Arm, Endurance, or Warp Speed. Like they're just gonna go through and chomp through everybody. It's well, okay. Uh, to to give people a sort of rough understanding where we're coming from here, uh, if we haven't been clear enough. The Kenatai Blade Occult, which we established, are a massive threat for 10 points difference between the two models. The segment have slightly less weapon skill. They come with an additional wound, an additional attack, better armor saves. They come yep. with two mastery levels. They get to pick their abilities. They also have ranged war gear. The ranged war gear also has shred. Yep. And they're able to upgrade to other weapons such as lightning claws, power fists, or chain fists. And their force weapon is not limited to being just swords. And the segment also have options uh, for transports, including a Spartan as a dedicated transport, which is huge because it's not taking up your heavy slot then. Uh, they also have access to the Guard of the Crimson King Rite of War, which means they can become like troops choices, they oh, yeah. can deep strike in, all this other stuff. And that's for 10 points. So the Kenatai Occult Blade Cabal, which I think are a cooler unit for me personally, and I think, you know, both units are spectacular, but if I had to choose between them, I'd pick the Blade Occult. Um, the Kenatai are just so much worse. And, you know, this is why you see Segment everywhere and not Kenatai Blade Occult or yep. Amatara um, Occult Intercession Cabals. Or Assyrian Dreadnoughts, because people are just like, oh, fuck, Segment Terminators. Like, there's only a 70-point difference between the two squads' base, and the Terminators will have twice the wounds and better armor. So yep. it's just a no-fucking-brainer. You'd yep. think they'd be double the points, but they're not. Um, no. I mean, I'd be happy to pay 50 points a model for a Segment, yep. and I think that'd be pretty balanced. Yeah. Uh, it's just that they're... In, in all honesty, like, I, I think they're fucking awesome. Even with the fact I think they're fucking awesome, they're really a cool thematic unit to have, especially for your HQ choices out there. Like, they're, they're just fucking cool. They're, you, they're just cool. 
Um, but moving along, like now we're actually getting into the HQ choices. So um, just to speed up, because we're almost at three hours for this point. Um, you got you got two other than Mag the big the big bad Crimson King himself. You have two choices. You have Ozic Araman, and then you have uh, Magistus Aemon. Um, of these two, uh, one is more towards uh, buffing you towards getting scout and infiltrate and stuff like that, which is Aemon. Uh, Araman, he's sort of a letdown. He, uh, he is mastery level four, um, but his rules are shit. Absolutely, uh, absolutely shit. Uh, his... His warlord trait is if uh, you pick up the three troop units in your in your army with the Legion of Starry Styles of Spool before they go in the army is deployed, these unit gains a scout special rule, right? Uh, cool, got it. But then you have Aemon, and uh, his special rule for his warlord trait is uh, if Magistus Aemon is your uh, army's warlord, you may select a single non-super heavy or non-flyer unit in your army. This unit must now enter the play from reserve using the outflying special rule on a turn you specify. This specified turn can be any after the first. You must take a note of it secretly, uh, and when the turn begins, the note is revealed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so both of them have shit warlord uh, special rules. Uh, you get the, when it comes to Aemon, uh, his couple of his special rules, the Armor of Shades, provides a two-up. Uh, then it gives the bear a four-up cover save in the open. Or it adds two to any other cover save that he may be eligible to claim to a maximum of two. And then if he joins a unit, they get the six plus, plus a plus one to any cover they're eligible to save to a maximum of two. He also gets the Dust of Devourers. So the Dust of Devourers is basically the same thing as... Uh, the fucking relic that the Thousand Sons get in book four, um, which was basically uh, once per game in the assault phase, uh, you basically open up this little box of Psycho Noonan, which is like these psychic bugs that are on Prospero. And it's uh, if a unit is comprising of five models or less, you get 2d6 automatic hits. Uh, if the unit comprises six models, I'm sorry, uh, this attack is D6, and then five or more is 2D6. They have no strength, but have Poison 4+, Concussive, and AP of 4. And it hits everybody that's in close combat in that assault phase. Um, he also has Hidden Servants and Secret Skyrings. So if the army has Aemon as part of a primary detachment, then the controlling primary rule tends to seize the initiative, which is really good. And then in addition, this is a, another good one, the enemy units arriving via outflank uh, or deep strike may not enter within 24 inches of him or any funny uh, table edge or within 12 inches of him deep strike. So outflank, 24 inches, deep strike, 12 inches, which is pretty cool. Um, and so when it comes to it, if you are having, if you're not running Magnus as your warlord, which most likely nine times out of ten you are, if you're, unless there's like a ban on Lord of Wars in the specific event you're running, I always go with Magistus Aemon because um, he's pretty dope. He, he has better rules, especially better rules for the uh, for the actual army wide. Um, 
Eamon just has marked by dark fates. Uh, the fates hold an eternity war for airmen. In campaign games where the character casualties and injury between battles are a factor, any such chart result may be rerolled. Um, and then, other than his warlord trait, he just gets airman's cavil, which is he can have a command squad, and it can be upgraded to mastery level two. Meh. Like, who gives a shit? Like, I I have yet. The, <laughs> maybe I'm an idiot when it plays the game, but I don't ever take any sort of command squad or uh, for any of the HQ choices. I mean, Scotty, am I an idiot there? Like, did, in all of your armies, whether it was Iron Hands, Iron Warriors, Thou- uh, or fucking World Eaters, did you ever take a command squad for any of your HQ choices? Scott? What? What? <laughs> what happened? So am I an idiot in thinking that like uh, that command squads are useless in any of the three Legion of Stardust armies you had? Did you ever take a command squad? I, you know, I can't think of a, a one I have. I mean, thematically, maybe, you know, that's probably the use you're going to find there. If you just want to run like a small retinue of like elite dudes, then you don't you know, want to invest any more points and just attaching a character to a, to a, you know, a standard unit of vets. You know, I feel like command squads are like this relic of the past back when HQs or whatever couldn't be attached to certain units. So you had to buy one of those for it to function as a retinue, but that's just not the case now. So, yeah. The command squad, it's its funny how Thousand Sons can't take psychic mastery levels on a command squad in general. They're meant to be, like, the Legion's best, but, like, veterans can take a mastery level, Terminators can take a mastery level, but command squads can't, which is dumb. Uh, 50 points is just not worth it, especially because yeah. they don't gain access to force weapons or anything like that. Yeah. Um, also, Araman, he's Corvidae Cult. That restricts your compulsory troops to also being Corvidae Cult. Amon, on the other hand, has access to Athenaean and Corvidae. Not much better, because they're not great cults, but it's better, because at least it gives you some fucking versatility. Araman, stats-wise, is essentially a stock Legion Librarian with an extra wound uh, and an extra point of leadership, I think, and that is it. Like, he is stats-wise shit, and that massive, awesome, copish staff he's armed with is a fucking mastercrafted force axe. And if Araman is actually getting into the choppy-choppy in the game, it's not great. Uh, for 225 points, yeah, 225 points. Sort of the same sort of points as someone like fucking Veldor. Um, I think Sigismund's cheaper. Like, Jesus Christ, if you run into anyone like that. Araman's probably a good 70 points overcosted uh, when you work it out. Just because he's got four mastery levels. Again, Forge World is putting a lot of stock in... Oh, he has a lot of mastery levels, but they're forgetting that, you know, what abilities you have access to and your chances of actually casting them. Eh. Araman is best used as a battery for a better Psyker. Uh, Amon is a very similar deal. Uh, at least he has access to two different cults. And if you took Amon with White Scars in a Shattered, Marine, uh, Shattered Legions detachment, you could potentially have five up seize initiatives, which you get to reroll, which, you know... 
you can be pretty confident in getting that first turn. I mean, that's something. But neither character is something I'm really like, fuck yeah, I want to take them my army. Nine times out of ten, I'm like, yep, I'll just take a stock Legion Praetor, yep. uh, give him a Paragon Blade and fucking Biomancy and just let him go to town. Yes. Choppy, choppy. Uh, he, he's going to fucking earn his points back. To, to be honest... To be honest, like one of the most upsetting ones is is Airman. Like he is pathetic when it comes to like how he's such an important person in the Thousand Suns, let alone the actual thirty k and forty k. Like he's shit. He's he's absolute shit. The two hundred twenty five points. Like I'm just saying, Veldor is only fifty points more. Fucking Veldor is only fifty points more than Airman. Yeah, uh, that's that's rough um Vodor will beat a primarch araman will fucking die against most praetors oh yeah yeah absolutely uh so i guess that takes us to the fucking crimson king himself old cyclops uh, old one eye the one-eyed monster big he looks like yeah. a red-headed ultimate warrior it's not <laughs> but yeah. let me like the fucking ultimate warrior is badass every fucking entrance for the ultimate warrior Here was have it, yeah Sniff a line of coke and then just yeah, an advertisement for how amphetamines work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fuck. Mag- Magnus is good. Uh, he was better in his previous form uh, as opposed to his FAQ variant, yep. where they sort of nerfed him. Uh, Four ninety-five points base, so second most expensive Primark. Uh. Weapon skill 7, ballistic skill 5, strength 7, toughness 6, wound 6, initiative 6, tax 4, leadership 10, 2 plus save. All the standard Primark special rules. Uh, his special ones, the Sire of the Thousand Suns, the Arch Sorcerer, the Eye of the Crimson King, the Phantasmal Aura, and very bulky. Um, war gear-wise, he has the Blade of Un-Nunantra, uh, something like that. I'm not very good at my fucking Egyptian. Yep. Um, you know, read, read, person doing that funny walk. Uh, he has plus two strength with the weapon. It's AP one. It's melee force two-handed. I guess it kind of works for him because he is striking an initiative. It is AP one. It is force weapon. I mean, it can actually be a decent force weapon, unlike the rest of them. But again, you've got to keep it in your mind to actually cast force. Um... Sire of a Thousand Suns, Segment Terminators, and Legion Terminators may be taken as troops choices for a Thousand Suns primary detachment when he is the Warlord, which is pretty strong. Uh, any squad he joins is fearless. All Thousand Suns in the same army as him get to use his leadership value instead oh, of their you're own. Also, you're also forgetting a, a, a big one when it comes to Magnus and the Sire of a Thousand Suns is that um, anyone can use his leadership as part of morale checks and pinning tests and any leadership tests, as well as any reserve rolls made for units in the army with Magnus the Red and its warlord may be re-rolled if the controlling player wishes. Yes. I'm, get, I'm getting there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that was like the next line down. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's good. It's good like all the other Sire of the Legions are. Um, I mean, there's obviously exceptions like Angron's Sire of the Legion ain't great. But Magnus being nice and close to his sons, they get some pretty decent buffs. Uh, his Arch Sorcerer, he is a level 5 mastery. 
and harnesses his warp charges on three plus when attempting to manifest psychic powers. When he does suffer perils of the warp, he must roll three or more sixes when attempting to manifest psychic powers rather than the usual two, and any result of a one on the perils of the warp table is actually re-rolled. Uh, that means he's pretty survivable against perils, which is good. Yep. Uh, he randomly generates five powers from a combination chosen from any of the following disciplines. Um, I know a lot of people do exactly what you said, which is just, oh, yeah, let's throw five dice at Biomancy and just take the whole lot. Yep. Because uh, Iron Arm and Warp Speed Magnus, you're talking Strength 10, Toughness 9, Initiative 9, 7 attacks, uh, <laughs> AP 1 with Force. Uh, yeah, that's sort of a no-brainer. Um, the Horned Raiment, his armor, it's pretty cool. 2 plus armor save, 4 plus invol, and if he's struck by a weapon with a destroyer special rule, the amount of wounds it does is reduced by minus 1. He's armed with a sidearm, which is a 15-inch uh, sci-fi serpenta. Strength 8, AP 2, Assault D3 has the terrible Soul Blade special rule, but really you just want the D3 AP 2 Strength 8 shots. Yep. The Eye of the Crimson King, when selecting targets for his psychic powers, all models within range are assumed to be in line of sight, except for those inside transports, vehicles, or buildings. All such attacks have the Ignore's cover special rule. That's fluffy, but again, there's not too many abilities that will come in handy on. Um, Phantasmal Aura. Enemy attacks directed at Magnus or any infantry unit he has joined are a minus one penalty to hit. Barrage weapons directed at him and any infantry unit he's joined add plus one to the scatter distance when a scatter is rolled. And then, of course, the big change is his Mind Wrath. So it used to be that when he manifests at a Witchfire, he could declare that he was using a Mind Wrath, and this is done when you attempt to cast the power. You say, I'm going to do a Mind Wrath, then you roll dice. You then added plus two to the amount required to cast, so you would cast on fives instead of threes. Yep. And you'd add 2d6 to the listed strength, and it doubled the range of the attack. And if you rolled an 11 or higher strength equivalent, then the attack became a destroyer attack. Now, keep in mind, this did not change the AP of the attack. And this is where a lot of people fell down complaining and bitching and whinging about Magnus. Um, because they would get hit by 1,000 D hits because it had hit everything within like 24 inches, which is like the biggest Nova he could cast. But the thing was, yeah, they might be D attacks, but they would, you, most Novas are AP 5. I think there's one AP4 Nova. So you got regular armor saves against it. So it was very rare that the D actually was effective. And even then, there was a chance that you could roll a one on the D and it was just strength ignore damage. Yeah. Um, the only time the AP didn't matter if you rolled a six. And then it was like no saves allowed at any, any point. But Exactly. It's the one, which is just as likely as it doing no damage. So yep. it wasn't a huge deal. I just thought, yep, yeah, restrict it to once per game. Forge World went, no, 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 no. The only action we have is an overreaction. Yep. You now have to pay an additional 175 points to use it. If he's in play, you can choose to cancel the Perils of the Warp that anyone casts in the army once per game as a part yep. of these 175 points. On top of that, he can use the Mime Wrath, the charge is exactly the same if the power is successfully manifested you add d6 to any strength value and it maxes at 10 massively worse for 175 points it's not even worth 75 points that is shit yeah it's bad enough that they got rid of the d but 
to reduce from 2d6 to 1d6, that's just shit. Like, shit. Yeah, it's, it's like, okay, you can hit a lot of units, but your damage is so weak, you know, like the AP5. And, and again, like, okay, you add d6 to the strength. Most attacks are strength 4 or strength 3, so you're going to be averaging strength 7 or 8. AP5. Yep. I guess if you're a militia army, that's probably terrifying. <laughs> but you're fighting a Primarch. Anything in any Primarch is terrifying, except maybe Angron, because you can just sort of wear him down with fucking blast weapons. Um, yeah. But other, other yeah. Than that, like, like, I mean, if you want to be thematic, you obviously run him as a different cult, but like, Every time I brought Magnus on the table, my thought process was, this dude's here to kick fucking ass. So I ran him on Biomancy. I never ran him on anything else. Uh, as just for, like, shits and gigs, I did run him one time with trying to cast, like, a D-Nova. Um, didn't really work out. What I mean, I thought it would probably be cool, but at the end, it's, like, one of those things where, like, if you do manage to get it off, if you can, it's pretty fucking cool. But if uh, if you don't, then you're left with a shitty Nova spell um, that's not really doing anything. But Biomancy Magnus is absolutely nasty. He's going to be doing damage. He's going to be kicking ass, but she's going to be surrounded by Sekhmet that have a three-up in bone, and it's fucking dirt nasty. Um, but it fits him. Like, you're using his psychic abilities to make him the ultimate warrior, he looks like the ultimate warrior from 1980s WWF, so it makes sense. Yeah, um, he's good. He's a strong Primarch. You're dumb if you take that 175-point ability. Yeah. Just run him stock. Yep. Um, it's a shame. Again, it's, it's like that. For every action, there's an equal and opposite forge-world overreaction. So, is what it is. Um, rights of War, just quickly, the Garda Crimson King... That's the one most people gravitate towards. Uh, we're generating warp charge at the start of any psychic phase. Controlling player of attachment using this right of war may roll an additional d6 and select the highest of the two results. Uh, it's okay. Can lead to more perils than not. Uh, Wreathing lightning, they rend the veil. Any Terminator armor equipped units in the detachment, along with any independent characters and the Primarch Magnus the Red, may deploy via deep strike using teleport as long as they don't have a dedicated transport. When these units arrive via Deep Strike, they gain the Fear Special Rule if they do not already possess it, and may reroll failed invulnerable saves for one until the controlling player's next turn. Huge with Telekine Sekhmet. Yep. Because your three-plus involves with a reroll. Is yep. <laughs> Oh, that is strong. Yeah. Uh, and then... Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's just going to move on, but... Yep, so, so I'll... I got this one because... I absolutely love the Axis of Disillusion. I think it's a fantastic right of war that people don't realize. So the effects of Axis Dissolution are you got the Alembic of the Adamant. Models of the Legion of Stars Thousand Sun Special Rule that are part of a force using this right of war automatically pass any morale checks or pinning tests they are called on to make if they are within six inches of an objective when this test is taken. So because that says of an objective, literally, if you're playing any mission, it doesn't say primary, it doesn't say secondary, it just says an objective. 
So if you're playing Blood Feud and one of the objectives, I believe, is attrition, if you're within six inches of an enemy unit, guess what? You're not taking a morale or, or pinning test because it says right here that they automatically pass. It's extremely, extremely useful, especially if you're playing an event that has like a very, very objective-based mission. Uh, it's wonderful because any objective, not primary, not secondary, any objective that's part of that mission, if you're within six inches of it, you're good. These guys become fearless in, um, I forget what mission it is, but it's the mission where it's like your deployment zone is one point, the middle zone, the no man zone is two points or whatever, and the, the enemy deployment zone is X amount of points. Those are objectives. Guess what? Yeah. Your guys are effectively fearless now. Um, then you also have the Caustic of Grace. Models of the Legion of Stars, Thousand Suns, full, a Thousand Suns special that are part of a force using this right of war may fire Overwatch Blitz skill too. Um, that's effective uh, in certain situations, especially if, you, if you're running up to these guys to those objectives because you're taking advantage of basically that fearless uh, special rule that they have when it comes to objectives. You're you're hitting on fives instead of uh, instead of sixes, and it'll come important later on when I tell you about the limitations. Uh, then the last effect they have is the transition of the, the vitriol. You may reroll all failed to hit into wound rolls to models with the Legion of Stars out of this rule that have uh, that are part of a force using a short war against enemy models that are falling back. This rarely happened. Uh, falling back. Uh, if you're playing another Thousand Suns, or not another Thousand Suns, but another Legion of Stardust Force, you're most likely sweeping and advancing them. I, I very rarely see falling back. It does happen, but very rarely does it happen. And so this one really doesn't uh, take into effect as much as you would like it to be. Um, but when it does, it definitely is a benefit. It's sort of like a better version of the Medusa Immortals um, gun them down special rule, whatever it is. Exactly. Where instead of chasing someone down, which is way more effective, oh, yeah. they, can, they can Overwatch shoot at them. Yeah, which is really... It, it, it's, it's, really it's, just, it's just a thing. It's, it's not what you build the Rite of War around. The Rite of War is definitely all about that. I have a super in um, morale. That's what the Rite of War gives you. Yep. Um, the limitations of having to take max troop squads, 20 squad, twenty man squads are really unwieldy. Um, that is a massive limitation. Normally I would say morale becomes a huge problem for 20 man squads because it's very easy to lose a couple of guys in turn one and then because the squad's so big and so close to a table edge, they run off. Yep. But because of the way the morale system works with objectives, you can pretty reliably get them near an objective unless it's something as... as mm, Blase is kill points, perhaps, um, which is not a common heresy mission at all. So, yeah, it, it works. It's not groundbreaking. It's not the sort of thing where you're like, fuck yeah, um, like the Sekhmet uh, Guard of the Crimson King is, where it's just pretty much all positives. Uh, but, you know, it's thematic. I don't yeah. see any reason why it's terrible and you'd never take it. It's it's um, also it's also very very fun to play. I I for one, even when I'm not playing uh, Centurion rules, I, I usually stand I, I stay away from uh, from vehicles, and that's because like one of my very good friends, who's a Word Bearer player, who got me into the, like I said, he got me into the Thousand Suns because 
he's a word bearers player and I, and Magnus and Lugar were best friends and I ended up picking uh, Thousand Sons. He was this batshit crazy dude that no matter what game we were playing or how many points, if it was a 5,000-point game or a 1,500-point game, he would just fill it with as much infantry as possible. And he used to just run these massive infantry blobs, and they would just... He wouldn't care how many fucking infantry dudes you would wax off the face of the planet. He would just, like, keep running up up, up with you with infantry, and I thought it was cool. And I and that's what I envision as, like, the heresy battles is, like, you don't have, like, the 40K version of, like, these small tactical elements and rhinos and having support of special vehicles and stuff like that to, to help you out uh, when you're getting, a, like, a five-man tactical squad is getting attached to a Imperial Guard regiment to, to wax, like, orcs or Eldar or something like that. I, like, I imagine, like, the army just, like, walking across the battlefield and just like using their bolters at like hips and just like firing away especially the thousand sons where they got their psychic abilities and shit like that they're just walking across the battlefield because like you got you got raptor dudes that are that are like giving you shields and then you got the corvidae dudes that are like telling you to like hey duck out of the way because in about five more seconds you're gonna take a fucking uh microscopic razor round from an Eldar weapon to the face. You know what I mean? So I, I always found this right of war pretty cool to use. Cause like, you're just walking dudes up and just like being like, Hey, this is who we are. The thousand sun. We got these fucking bolters and we're about to fucking ass blast you with psych bolts. So yeah, it's just a pity. Um, the ass blasting with psychic bolts just isn't a thing they can actually do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, don't take it all as doom and gloom. Um, the Thousand Suns are a really fun and unique legion to play. Um, they definitely could use some uh, better rules. It's it's they got close. They got close to perfection, but they they narrowly missed it. And the FAQ has not helped. Yes. Um, but that said, they're perfectly viable. I mean, old Thousand Suns are a strong legion, if not the strongest legion. Um, yep. that's just down to a couple of key abilities and units like segment telekinesis cults um, are very much crutches for the legion um, if you took those away from them they'd probably drop to a mid-tier legion very quickly but if you compare to someone like world eaters emperor's children dark angels like thousand sons are so so much better a place um yeah Plus, they have some of the most interesting fluff, and if you've hung around for this long to listen to it, they must surely interest you. Yeah, like, and this this will be the third time I'm saying it as we wrap up here. Um, but like, just 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 read a thousand suns. Like, it's just a fantastic book, um, and it really tells you about like how the thousand suns operate and their whole mindset going into the battle of Prospero. It's just, it's really, really interesting. Um, I, I honestly think like a thousand suns is probably the perfect, is probably the the number one book when it talks about specifically how a legion operates in in very very good detail. Um, it's just really good, uh, and it's it's a really interesting book, and it keeps you on your keeps you on your heels, and it keeps, you just want to keep continue on listening to find out what happens. 
And then it really wants you to like listen to Crimson King to continue the storyline and find out what what happens. So, gentlemen, one of our best ones yet, I think. Everyone's been wanting a kind of a longer episode of Hobby too, and I think we just delivered. James, thank you, man, for coming on. I didn't know Dick about a Thousand Suns, so you are the MVP for sure. You and Vince fucking killed this thing. You pr- now you probably know too much. Yeah. 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 We probably more than I, yeah. Like most things in our life, I now have an uncomfortable amount of knowledge about. This. Yeah, we probably went a little bit too many tangents, but like... Me they thinking do. about it, like... This is an empire built on tangents. That's what yeah. it's... But, uh, hey, guys, next week we're going to uh, be leaning into a little bit of Flames of War for next episode. Fuck. Yes! That's, That's right, what I'm man. talking about. We're fucking getting our World War Two on, folks. So, all right, guys. Well, y'all have a nice night. James, you got anything else? Uh, no, nah, just thanks for having me on. It was great. And I'll uh, see you guys in uh, mid-September. Goddamn yeah, that's right, right because so. Maka is joining us at fucking right, War Games right. Camp. Fuck yeah. He's coming, dude. So if you want to see the yeah. number primo guy, the most honest guy in this community, in person, from the outer circle itself, he will be there at yep. War Games Camp. Yeah, Probably just come up and... Hit me straight in the face if that's your thing. Like. <laughs> oh, me. All right, guys. Well, hey, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for your time. And we will see you guys soon. Oh, and check out the Outer Circle. Exactly. Goddamn right. You better. All right. Sign us off, man. See you guys. See ya. Bye.